Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Brian, and you're listening to the Herfcast. Uh, this episode, I've got Miguel Chaudel from Crownhead Cigar. Um, he came and hung, hung out with me here in the Black Flannel Studio. It was an awesome conversation. Um, we talk cigars, we talk baseball, we talk all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, gardening, pickles, all that. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. I think this is probably my favorite episode to date. Um, you know, just a, a great conversation, a great time. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, I, I think Miguel had a good time and, um, you know, he's definitely welcome back anytime. Um, so with that being said, uh, I'm not going to do any ads this week, really. Uh, just, uh, you know, go to the website, theherfcast.com, and at the top you could join CRA to help the help the cause, um, and you can save 25% on flatbedcigarcompany.com with a link there. Uh, just use the code HC25, and if you feel like it, you could donate to my Patreon. There's links to my Patreon on my homepage. Um, so that would be very much appreciated. So we're just going to get right into it. This is uh, it's a little over two hours, but like I said, it's it's a great conversation, very cigar-oriented. And, um, you know, Miguel's a baseball fanatic, baseball historian, so we, we get into that a bit too. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoy. Uh, any questions, comments, anything like that, uh, email me at brian at theherfcast.com. Uh, check me out on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, just search for the Herfcast. Um, all right, thanks. Enjoy. All right, well, um, I don't want to screw up your last name, but I'm here with... Uh, Miguel Mi- Chaudel. Miguel Chaudel from uh, Crown Head Cigars. Um, makers of plenty of fine cigars. Uh, the Headley Grange, Jericho Hill, the Lamperiosa, which is definitely one of my favorites. Um, the, uh, I guess getting to be a little bit more known now since you guys are putting them in shops everywhere, uh, the, the Tennessee Waltz and the Texas Rose. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the, the Mason Dixon North and South, which I don't think those are, those aren't going to be produced anymore at all. Right. Or we did a limited run, uh, two years in a row we did. uh, So there were four blends, two North, two South, uh, back to back years, uh, we literally, John Huber and Mike Condor, the owners of Crown Heads, very much artistic individuals in the sense that they allow the cigar, they allow the projects that they work on to speak to them. And a concept is never dead, that if something speaks to them where they say, you know what, this could be a new Mason Dixon, then it will absolutely be back. Right on. So, uh, kind of mule kick when we had to, when we do the mule kick, they did one, and then like three years later we did a couple back to back. It literally is just a project speaking to us, yeah. speaking to them, and saying this would be perfect for that. So I would say Mason and Dixon will be back sooner or later. Yeah, whenever that time is right, when when they find a blend that really speaks to them. Yeah. So. Yeah, not dead, but uh, uh, definitely still in the in the chamber, if yeah. you will. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's, um, um, I don't know. I, I haven't had 
a crown heads that I haven't liked, and I, I, I've said that plenty of times. Uh, my favorite is probably La Imperiosa. Yeah. Um, uh, so far, this uh, Four Kicks Maduro is treating me pretty nice. Um, I said this, this is my first time smoking that. Four Kicks Maduro was uh, what's unique about the cigar you're smoking right now is the wrapper. Yeah. And so the Four Kicks was our first line we ever ever launched, and that's what I'm smoking right now, the original Four Kicks, kind of the OG yeah. of, of Crown Heads. And every line kind of stands on its own. It's one wrapper, one you know, one one kind of style. It's it's one cigar. Four Kicks is the only one we've done two regular production versions of it. So we have the original, which has Ecuador Habano. The one you're smoking has a Connecticut Habano. So in the Connecticut River Valley, the two big wrappers that are growing up there are Connecticut Shade, which is grown under cheesecloth, very tall plant, long slender leaves. Uh, those are the cigars you, sh- you see on a lot of mild cigars. Yeah. It has that golden hue, yeah. right? And then the other wrapper that they grow up in the Connecticut River, Va- River Valley is called Connecticut Broadleaf. And it is a very short, stout plant with very large, broad leaves, hence the name Broadleaf. And they're two completely different seed strains. They're harvested completely different as well, where Connecticut Shade is harvested much more like the tobacco you would see in Nicaragua, Honduras, uh, Dominican Republic, where we pick leaves from the bottom. And maybe two, three days later, we pick up more leaves and more leaves until the very end you have leaves at the top, the, the lajeros left over. Broadleaf is not done that way. Broadleaf is stalk cut. So the whole stalk is cut, and then it's hung. uh, Instead of leaf by leaf, it's hung the whole plant. So those are the two main plants that you grow in the Connecticut River Valley. There are some experimental seeds that are being grown up there and different things, and one of them is uh, Ecuador Habano, which traditionally, again, would be grown in Ecuador. But they're growing that Habano seed in Connecticut, and hence the cigar that you're smoking right now. Now, I can only name two or three cigars in the industry right now that are using it on a regular production cigar, and this is one of them. And so when I tell guys, we do several Maduros. Uh, You mentioned La Imperiosa, which is uh, Ecuador Oscuro. We use uh, Mexican San Andreas Maduro on our Jericho Hill. We use Broadleaf on our La Carême. You know, we, we do several different kind of Maduro cigars. But that, to me, is really unique. And what's unique about the Four Kicks Maduro is that wrapper. That wrapper is so very different than most of the Maduro wrappers out there. And I'm a a cigar geek. And so I want to smoke everything. I want to try every leaf. And so what I think about is unique about this is that you can pick up a lot of different broadleaves. You can pick up a lot of different San Andreas Maduros. But you can't pick up many Connecticut Habano wrapped cigars. Hence the uh, Four Kicks Maduro that you have in your hand right now. It's it's um, definitely a, a cigar that was built around that wrapper yeah. and giving people something unique to try. Right on. So, so you've been in the industry for quite some time. Uh, you started with CAO? Yeah, yeah. I started 15 years ago. I got in the business. I started with CAO Cigars. Yeah. And I was with them until a year after they sold. They were sold to STG, which uh, eventually bought Scandinavian, uh, eventually bought uh, Swedish Match, and then Swedish Match owned General. Uh, and then I joined Toranio, and I became their national sales manager. And then they sold the General Cigar, which at the time also held CAO. Yeah. And uh, then I worked for a good buddy of mine, Roberto Palaio Duran, who is a big time. He has um, a lot of growing operations in Ecuador and Nicaragua. And so I helped him out for like two and a half years. And then uh, my buddies at 
at Crown Heads who were two executives at CAO. So I was very, we were good friends, always knew each other, and I worked for them back in the CAO days. They called and said, hey, look, we have this opportunity. Um, would you join us? And so I took the opportunity and joined Crown Heads as their national sales manager. So I've been into business 15 years and probably the last two years with Crown Heads. Yeah. Yeah. So it's only been two years? Yeah, it's been about two years, man, about two wow. years. I thought it was longer. Well, it's funny because <clears throat> a lot of people say that to me. When I do a lot of interviews or I do podcasts, it didn't matter who I was working for, you know, po once post-CAO, people say, well, give me your top three cigars that you don't work for. And two out of the three were always Crown Heads. Yeah. So when I announced that I was working for Crown Heads, there were people who, you know, kind of in the industry, they're like, dude, I thought you worked for them for a couple of years already. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I feel very blessed to be with them. I've known them for a long time. I've been friends with them. And to work with them in this capacity is, uh, is truly a dream come true. Uh, I, I love... Mike Condor and John Huber, they're just um, solid guys. Yeah. Solid guys. Yeah. It, it seems like it. Like, I've, I've heard uh, John on um, the Hot Ticket podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, seems like great guy. Um, and, you know, definitely definitely good good episode with, with uh, Hot Ticket. Uh, I like listening to those guys. I like those guys too. They're Ohio guys. Yeah, uh, I'm in a uh, grew up in. I grew up in Ohio, so yeah. I, I consider myself an Ohio guy, although I don't live there anymore. Um, yeah, I like the hot ticket guy. I think John's going to be back on their show very soon. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, well, that's. I think. Uh, what was it Chris? Chris is getting married. Yeah, and um, uh, that's. I. Th I think they were saying after that he's going to be back. I, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually a couple episodes behind on them right now. Um, two episodes, I think. But um, good guys, they do a good job. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I, I'm glad. I'm glad I found them because uh, it, it wasn't up until like six months ago it dawned on me that I have a cigar podcast, but I don't listen to any other cigar podcast. Mm. And um, you know, it just so happened like we followed. Uh, like I, I followed them on Instagram, and I didn't even know it was a cigar bot podcast. Okay. And um, you know, after a Google search, you know, it's like, oh, hey, that sounds familiar. And, you know, gave them a listen, listen to a few up, and, you know, yeah, it got hooked. So, you know, it's funny because they're called the hot ticket. Yeah. And I've traveled the whole Midwest for my 15 years in the, in the industry. And there was a radio station somewhere in Michigan at one time, and they had a show, I think, called something hot ticket or whatever. And it was a sports show. So John said, hey, man, you ever heard these guys called the hot ticket? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that radio station. He's, and he's telling me about it. I go, no, I don't think it's the same ones, man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they do a great job. They do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they just did an episode with uh, one of the guys from Pro Protocol that was really good. Oh, nice, nice. Good uh, guys out east, man. Protocol, yeah. good guys. Their cigars are made by Espinosa. Solid all the way around. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a few minutes ago you mentioned, uh, you know, two of your favorite cigars were Crown Heads. What are those? For me, if, if I'm... You know, I always say, well, you're stuck on a desert island. Yeah. And what other cigars are you going to be able to smoke? Cigars that I smoke consistently every day for the last at least five years have been the original Four Kicks, which to me is as smooth as can be. That's what I'm smoking right now. I think you could smoke it on an empty stomach. I think you could smoke it after a big meal. It's flavorful all the way around. And then to me, a more of a after big dinner 
steak kind of kind of thing. I smoke the Jericho Hill. Yeah, uh, I that love makes the sense. Jericho Hill. Yeah, and what's unique is you don't plant it that way, but Jericho Hill is made for us by Pepin Garcia at the My Father Cigar Factory, and Four Kicks is made for us by Ernesto Perez Carrillo. Up to this point, they make 100% of our cigars. These two makers, and so I love one from each of them. And each one kind of really speaks very differently to me. They're very different blenders. They use, you know, their techniques are their own techniques. And they're both legends in their own, you know, and uh, what they do. So it's unique because I, I, I can appreciate both blending styles and both kind of cigars that they produce. And the two cigars, Four Kicks and Jericho Hill, couldn't be more different. I mean, they're very yeah. different. You know, one's a Maduro, one's a Habano. Uh, one of them's Box Press. One of them's Parejo round. Um you know, they just they have a very different look and feel and taste to them. But to me, they're the great yin yang of what I like. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you like La Imperiosa. Yeah. So I think La Imperiosa is a stunning cigar. <clears throat> when I do events, there's something about that dark, dark Ecuador Escudo wrapper. Yeah. And then it, the 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 wrapper on that, the band on that, is that Tiffany blue mm-hmm. or that Robin egg blue. Yeah. And if a guy walks up to my table at an event and let's say he knows nothing about crown heads, he just walks in, I'll check out what you're selling. That's the first cigar that guy's, it catches the Mm -hmm. guy's eye. The packaging is on, the cigar is on, love that cigar. And we have a great love for Corona Gordas in our company. True Cuban Corona Gordas. So five, five, eight by 46. And that is the best-selling size in La Imperiosa. And yeah. we have some thicker ring gauges in that, in that line. So, I don't know, it makes me very happy that that yeah. cigar, the Corona Gordas All-Star in that lineup. And uh, it does extremely well, but it just has a great look to yeah, it. Yeah, it definitely does. But for me, that's the kind of cigar where I smoke, that would be the last cigar I smoke of the day. Yeah. You know, I, I know guys that will power smoke those things. I don't know what it is about that blend, but to me it's very potent. And um, where I could smoke five Jericho Hill back-to-back. I could smoke five Four Kicks back-to-back. When I smoke a La Imperiosa, I'm like... There's, right, there's a break in there's between. There's a break in between yeah. there. Yeah, you that's, know what I mean? uh, that's actually what I smoked uh, this afternoon while I was setting everything up. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, I knew there was going to be a few hours in between. Um, but uh, my the, the first... Uh, I have to give credit for... Um, my buddy Bruce from Cigar Geeks, I mentioned one time that I haven't had anything from Crown Heads. Mm-hmm. And he took it upon himself to, to bomb me with a selection of five Crown Head cigars. Nice. So the first Crown Head cigar that I ever smoked was uh, the Four Kicks Black, Black Belt Buckle. Oh, which nice. Which was uh, exclusive for... Famous cigars. Was it famous? Yeah. 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 So that, that was the first one that I smoked, and... Um, you know, I've had I've had plenty of the regular four kicks since then, and you know, like you said, it's it's a fantastic cigar. Um, uh, I think the not to not to discredit any other cigars, but I think the best performance I've gotten out of any Crown Head cigar or any cigar period was a uh, Headley Grange. I have pictures where, like I, it, the I have the the entire smoke is ash almost to the almost to the cap to the cap yeah and i was i was surprised i was i was on a i was on a virtual herf a google herf with uh, the guys from cigar geeks while while i was smoking it nice i was actually able to get the slide the band off and the ash stayed and i'll have to find those pictures but um yeah it was it was damn near to the cap that i had 
and it and it, it, it's not I wasn't babying it or anything. I was moving around. You know, I, I move my hands a little bit when I talk. Yeah. And um, you know that the ash just stayed intact the the entire time. And that's and that's and if John Huber was here and talking to you, John would tell you that's credit. Not to us. That's credit to Ernesto Perez Carrillo. Yeah. We call him El Padrino, the El Padrino, the Godfather. Um, he's a legend, and you know, cigars are a handmade product. You're always going to have mm-hmm. issues here and there. But with Ernesto, it seems like every time he makes a cigar for us, he just knocks it out the ballpark. And I, I always tell people, the most important aspect of a cigar is the construction. Yeah. Because you could have the greatest tasting tobacco. You could have the most well-aged, well-fermented, rock star tobacco you can imagine. But if you can't draw on it, if it doesn't burn right, it completely destroys the experience. Yeah. So, ultimately, the most important thing about a cigar is construction. I mean, you know, I think that could go for a lot of things. You know, if you want to buy a nice car and it looks beautiful but it doesn't run, what's the point? Yeah. And so I think cigars are very much that same way. Uh, and so uh, I will. I will make sure Ernie knows that. I appreciate those words, man. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's I. And I've. I, I don't think I've ever had any real issues with any, any crown heads. Uh, you know, the the consistency is is also. You know, a- after construction, consistency is going to be. Oh yeah. Right there. Right there. You know, uh, yeah. every time I pick one of those up, you know, it's going to smoke damn near the same, um, and, you know. Like I said, never, never a bad experience. Um, but yeah, so I, I have to thank Bruce for for turning me on to. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, to, out there to uh, to the Crown Heads lineup. Um, we'll tell Bruce to say hello. Oh, we'll do. <laughs> um, you mentioned Headley Grange. Um, the first cigar that Crown Heads did was Four Kicks, and that was very much a cigar that John and Mike developed with Ernesto Perez Carrillo. They really loved that Ecuador Habano wrapper that beautiful kind of Colorado color that it has on the second cigar that dated with Ernie Ernie is very much well known for his craftsmanship with Ecuador um, uh, Sumatra and so in that second cigar that they worked on which would become Headley Grange that is an Ecuador Sumatra wrapper so very much that second cigar is very much spearheaded by the love that Ernie has for that wrapper and, and his you know, just the way that he works with that wrapper is second to none. And a lot of people within the industry will say, you know, he's probably one of the best at blending that wrapper. Yeah. And so Headley Grange definitely was kind of birthed from that, from his love of that wrapper. And and John and Mike kind of let him take a little driver's seat, kind of driving that, that blend. And um turned out really good, really, really good. I love the band. The band looks great. It's yeah. kind of old school Cuban. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a dressed box where Four Kicks was a cabinet style box. And uh, so very much two different worlds of cigars there, you know. So have you ever tried uh, throwing a blend together or anything? I have. You know, years ago, uh, when I worked for Torano Cigars, I created a blend called Salutum. And uh, the cigar was mind-blowingly mundane. Yeah. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I got to name the cigar. I got to help develop the blend. Now I don't blend. I think the word master blender gets so thrown around these days. Like I meet guys that have been in the industry ten years, and they're like, "Oh, I'm the master blender. I'm the master blender." I think if you ask anyone worth their weight in gold in this business, 
um, John Huber. You can ask Pete Johnson. I think you could ask Dion from Illusione. You can ask any of those guys. How many master blenders do you think are in this business? And I think most of them would tell you they can count on one hand. Real yeah. solid master blenders. It seems like, it seems like, like through all the different interviews that I've heard uh, with with owners, with blenders, you know, everybody. It seems like the cigar industry is a very humble business. Like, ev- yeah. everyone's pretty humble. Yeah. Like, nobody nobody really is very braggadocious or anything. Um, you know, I, I guess that's just another aspect to the to the to the cigar culture that that is just. I think the very longer, nice. yeah, I think the longer you're in the business, the more you realize the the least you know. Yeah, the, the, you know, there's the, the so much more you could learn, and. Um, you take a guy like Ernie, you take a guy like Pepin Garcia, who are literally masters of their trade, and yet they still are learning every day. And um, the more you spend time, you know, look, there's a lot of reps that are in a business are just reps, right? They smoke the cigar. Um, they may get to kind of put their input on what they think of a blend. Um, they sell the cigar. They're smoking the cigars. I've been very blessed in my career to spend a lot of time in the farms, to spend a lot of time in the factories. So I've got to really spend time with with blenders and working out how they blend cigars. And so I, I consider myself a person very well versed in that. But I would uh, but actually blending and making something is completely different than, you know, when, when we did salute him with Charlie, Charlie Tarano and I, we literally Charlie said, what do you want? I said, this is what I want. Made up a bunch of different blends. And what's funny is I always tell this story. What I wanted was kind of a cigar that that reminded me of the Cuban Juan Lopez selection number two, which is I don't smoke a lot of Cubans, but that's my favorite Cuban. Yeah, and I wanted that's what I wanted to kind of replicate. What came out at the end was completely different because once you start tasting all these cigars, you, you, it kind of goes off a different tangents and different you know different ways. And and so the final cigar actually I really liked the way it tasted. I liked the way it was. It was very smooth, kind of elegant, medium-bodied cigar. Uh, we sold it for two or three years and we did decent with it but the cigar i named it i designed it i came up with all the kind of concept around it worked with a designer out of miami named umberto uh he uh has a company called cigar packaging and he does a lot of design work for people and so he kind of helped develop all that with me and uh ultimately when Toronto got bought that was the only cigar that really didn't have a Tarano story behind it because it was my story. It was a story about me recovering from a brain tumor that I had and, and salutum kind of as a, a Latin term. that And it, so the whole cigar was kind of based around my story. So when General took over Tarano, I mean, it really didn't make sense for them to carry on that cigar. And that was one of the first cigars that they kind of cut out of the picture. Yeah. And... Um, you know, it's it's one of those. Uh, I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was so much fun to yeah. be able to. I made this cigar, or I helped develop this cigar. Um, but uh, I think I'm going to stick to sales. Yeah. You know, I think I'm going to stick to sales. <laughs> no, that's I, I. I would love to. Uh, you know. Try something out like mm-hmm. that. You know, just just for fun. Um, you know, uh, it was it was neat. Uh, Fred Rui came and did a did like a seminar at eleven oh one. You were at eleven oh one last night. Fred's a great guy. And it was it was a hacking the blend seminar where you smoked the the three different tobaccos in the blend. And you know that was it was really eye opening in the fact that you know just just getting the different you know seeing I guess seeing where the different flavors came from. Yeah. You know, 
and you know he he explained the blending process and in more detail than I've ever heard it before yeah uh, you know and it was it was really intriguing to me so that's I mean one of these days I'll I'll take a trip and uh you know I've I've heard uh plenty of plenty of good stories about the safari um about Cuba um you know uh, all, all different kinds of farms I've seen Drew State I think maybe Laura at one time I think um a couple, maybe Rocky, uh, uh, did it for a while where you would go on their tour, mm-hmm. and then you got to blend a cigar, and then I guess before you left, they would give you a box of your blend you got to take home, huh. which was really cool. I yeah. mean, if you're a cigar geek minimally, yeah, that is incredible yeah. experience. Um, I would tell you that one of the coolest things that I have ever experienced in my life was spending time at Nestor Placencia's factory in Nicaragua. He has a room, a blending room, where if you can imagine, it's like one of those old kind of library uh, with all those little cards you used to have to pull yeah. out. I forget the name yeah, of them. The, uh, Dewey Des- Do we? Yeah, yeah, I think Dewey something Des- like that. Yeah, that you look through the cards, right? Yeah. And they have a whole room like that, and there's tobacco in each one of those that you pull out, and they have like a menu, because he makes so many cigars for so many people. I mean, yeah. he's one of the largest growers, uh, wholesalers, cigar makers, you name it. Nestor Placencia has his hands in it, right? Uh, pro- I mean, I don't know. I, I would literally feel pretty confident to say that probably 30 or 40% of all cigars that are sold in the United States, premium hand-rolled, have some of his tobacco in it. Yeah. They came by way of his factory, if not the cigar itself. And that room is, I mean, if you're a cigar nerd, you go in that room and you can play with all that tobacco. And they have a rolling, a guy <laughs> right there who will roll it. You know, so you're like, I want this, I want that. And, and you know, he can make it up and, and, and the interesting about cigars is the way it tastes right when it's rolled opposed to a month two months three months can change dramatically dramatically um i I tell guys it's a lot like we were talking about growing vegetables earlier yeah and uh it's a lot like salsa that i love making salsa the first day it tastes okay three days later oh yeah it everything the cilantro is married with all the different vegetables and it just is so damn good and that's exactly how a cigar is and you were talking about blending earlier uh i tell guys all the time because a lot of people ask me at events how many different cigars can really be made and i said just think about if we had the same tobacco if i gave 10 guys the same ingredients to make the same dinner if i said hey i want you to make me a pork tenderloin with a citrus glaze, with a side of mashed potatoes and asparagus. You know, I give everyone the same ingredients. You literally could have 10 meals that essentially will have the same kind of flavor, but will have completely different profiles. Yeah. Some will be saltier. Some will be more peppery. Some will be, you know, a little bit more sweeter. Um, you know, maybe someone will cook their pork a little too much. Someone will cook it maybe a little rarer. So literally the same ingredients can give you a hundred different tastes and flavors so it's almost unlimited when you come to blending on what you can do so a guy like fred or i've seen jose blanco who's with epc um, do blending seminars um, there really isn't necessarily one way uh, and those guys can produce things very differently and i'm a huge fan of fred's cigars i I think fred is uh fred's a great guy man and and uh his stuff is his stuff smokes very very good and he has his own style and someone else could literally use the same tobacco and come up with a completely different cigar oh, yeah. you know yeah and that's what i think is so interesting about cigars it's a lot like 
food. It's a lot like wine. It's a lot like um, bourbon, you know? Yeah. Um, you can get completely different flavors depending on the person who's in charge of that, you know? Oh, yeah. So. so um, let's see how we... Uh, like, I guess, kind of going back to the gardening, you know, the, the, the salsa and whatnot. And like you said, same ingredients, different flavors and yeah. whatnot. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Well, but. to kind of go ahead on that is that you were telling me earlier about you wanted a pickle. Yeah. So you got some of your neighbors' um, uh, cucumbers. Cucumbers. And it took you a little while experimenting how yeah. much vinegar, how much salt, or do I throw garlic cloves in or whatever. And a lot that's a lot like cigars. I mean, sometimes a cigar, if we start developing a cigar in January, it could be ready everything that we need to do the blending the 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 packaging the everything we need to do it could take six months to a year yeah but when someone you know sometimes when you're working on a cigar for two or three years who how can it take so long a lot of times it's man it tasted great when we rolled it but then three months later we smoked it and we said we don't like where it's going yeah and so a lot of that can can just like you with a canning it takes a little time for you to maybe get what you're looking for and in our instance, that we don't make any cigars. There's a lot of companies that don't make any cigars. We don't make any cigars. We have these two legendary guys who make our cigars. So sometimes you got to get on the same page what you're working on. And sometimes um, a cigar can take you uh, in a different direction than you were you were trying to go in the first place. And also that that can lead to you naming the cigar, to you uh, developing the concept behind the cigar. It's man, it's so cool to pull back the curtain. It's something that I get to see in this industry, and I've worked for a couple different companies. It's really neat to see, yeah, that, man. You know, um, and I love when they share those stories. You know, yeah, like what what I was gonna what I was gonna mention, like with uh, you know all the same ingredients and whatnot. Like, you know, if if I was to blend something and it happened to be really good, I probably wouldn't be able to make it again anyway because I'm the type of person that. I don't measure anything. I don't keep track of yeah. it. I, you know, just throw a little bit of this, a little bit of that, uh, you know, see how it the turns out. The old Italian grandma. Yeah, yeah. I what guess. was her recipes? I don't know. They're on grandma's head. Yeah. And, like, really the only the only recipe that, that I follow to a T, basically, is, is when I make my pickles. Mm. You know, that's the only thing that I actually measure. Um, well, you'd be a terrible baker. Oh, yeah. My yeah. wife's into baking, and I didn't realize you have to be so exact. Oh, yeah. Unlike cooking. Yeah, like ba- just, baking is a science. Yes, and, yes. And, you know, cooking is an, an art. art. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's my, my wife does cakes, and, um, you know, yeah, it's, uh, I, I screw shit up all the time. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tried baking a couple times. It was not my forte. Yeah. That's, not I, my forte. I, I can't bake bread for the life of me. That's, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to make some, some Italian bread, and it, came came out uh more more like crackers you know just wouldn't wouldn't rise nothing i made biscottis yeah yeah so yeah i feel uh, that man so outside of uh outside of cigars what do you like to do i'm a big um i would call myself a baseball historian um i don't know what the proper word would be like a like a um, uh, there's some word that's escaping me, but I, I love baseball and I, I love the history of baseball. And I literally find myself in, in my downtime, if not with my wife, my kids, I have two kids and my wife and they've blessed me to be in this industry for 15 plus years. Yeah. Um, my hobby is I love baseball. Mm-hmm. I love baseball. 
Um, I love learning about rum. There's, uh, I think, uh, a great romance behind rum, especially with cigars. I think cigars will get someone in the rum who's never been in a rum, and a lot of times rum See, can get people in the cigars. You, you mentioned rum earlier, and that's something that, you know, I, I think I've, I think I've uh, seen you mention rum a couple of times in, in, in posts and whatnot, but um, that's something I'm, I'm going to have to go back to. I'm, I'm going to have to try rum with cigars again because, I mean, that's kind of how it was. Like, I, I kind of, when I, when I started getting heavily into the cigar hobby mm-hmm. it was mainly beer yeah that i would drink uh then i tried gin it wasn't was it wasn't exactly there uh i tried i tried scotch and bourbon and whatnot it's like ah, i you know it's just not my thing yeah you know and then you know fast forward a year uh give it another go and it's like oh yeah all right now now i see it now yeah. now i'm getting there you know and now i mean i've i've got uh, a small basic collection in the cabinet but you know i'm i'm getting to the point now where it's uh all right with this cigar i think i'm gonna want this instead of that um you know it's like before we got started i asked you know what what should i what should i have with with the four kicks maduro and uh you picked out basil hayden's for me which on it's not it's not my favorite bourbon Mm -hmm. um i mean you know revisiting it it is a little bit better than last time and you know it is going good with the maduro so i do a lot of events and and sometimes i'll bring a bottle of bourbon and, and i don't know maybe it's all my years alone in cincinnati but bourbon seems to be very popular in the yeah. midwest um you know cincinnati's so close to kentucky but I, literally basil hayden gets requested more than any other bourbon yeah guys like bring some basil hayden bring some basil hayden so i was that's kind of my go-to but i think rum is is amazing for the sense that if I took you to Cuba, right? I've been to Cuba. I go to Nicaragua. I go to Honduras. Um, if I took you to any of the cigar-making countries, Dominican Republic, been to the Dominican Republic, the guys that are rolling or the women and men that are rolling your cigars, the guys and gals that are the, the management, that are managing the rollers, and a lot of times the people that are running the factory, they drink rum. Rum is part of the history of Latin America. When you look at the rum trade, and the rum trade brought um, a lot of different cultures to the Caribbean. They brought Africans mixed in with the Europeans, mixed in with the native indigenous people. And, you know, the whole idea that sugarcane, the byproduct was molasses, and molasses they could make rum. And that really sparked a huge population boom in the Caribbean and Latin America. And so rum is the preferred drink spirit-wise. Coffee would be non-alcohol. And so I tell guys, I go, look, a lot of the sugar cane that's grown uh, around the world in Latin America, a lot of it is grown in the same countries where the tobacco is being grown. Brazil grows a ton of sugar cane. They produce some great rappers, Mata Norte, Mata Fina, Aripiraca. They grow all these different great uh, rapper tobaccos for some you. I'm glad you said that because I've never known how to pronounce it. And now that you've said it, I know that I'll probably never be able to pronounce <laughs> it correctly. Aripiraca? Yeah. Aripiraca. Yeah. Aripiraca. That's no, the best no. way I could describe it. So there, though, what's interesting is there, they don't really call the seed strain after like a Habano or... Um, or whatever you know, we would call the, the seed strain. There, they they call it by region where it's grown. So kind of like wine, I think in 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 France and stuff. You know, a Bordeaux. It's named after the region, yeah. and that's how Brazil is. So Mata Norte is grown in Mata Norte, and Aripiraca is grown in Aripiraca. So, um, but there a ton of sugarcane is grown there as well. 
I've been to a lot of fields in Central America where the soil may be absolutely perfect, but there's a lot of crosswinds, and it can destroy some of the the, the tobacco. So they'll grow sugarcane around oh, the farm okay. to to break the 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 wind and things that are coming that could destroy some of the plants. Right when it's filler and binder, it doesn't matter if the leaf is torn or has a bug yeah. hole, but the wrapper has to be perfect. So you have Latin America. And tobacco is a Native American. It's a native plant to the Americas. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if people around the a lot of people realize that, but it is a plant that is native to to the New World, and so and sugarcane is not. But when they brought sugarcane to the Caribbean, it, it just the two mash up perfectly. They're grown in the same terroir. I think they call it the, the soil. Yeah, it shares the same kind of culture. And so, if you go to Cuba, and you go to one of their bars. You go to the factory, you're drinking rum. There's no bourbon. There's no scotch yeah. down yeah. there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's and so I tell guys, I go, look, uh, I just like rum. We all like our different things. I'm a rum guy, but rum is the preferred drink down in Latin America. So drink your bourbons, drink your scotch, drink your gins. Yeah. But if you're not drinking good, well-aged rum, I think you're missing something with cigars. Yeah. The sweetness of the rum pairs up so damn well with tobacco. All right, so uh, being being as inexperienced as I am with rum, what would be your go-tos? So I, I always give two names. Look, there's I could name 100 different rums for you because I, I love rum. But the two that I always mention to people first, the first is Sacapa. I love Sacapa. Sacapa is made in Guatemala, and the rum is produced at sea level. And they age it up in the mountains of Guatemala, so it's much cooler in the mountains, so you don't lose as much of the angel share. And... A lot of times what people kind of turn people off about rum is maybe they had a bad experience with rum in college or rum is so much cheaper than a good bourbon or a good scotch. So it's kind of – but like that rum there, it's, 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 it's so good and it's so smooth. It pairs up – I think Sacaba pairs up with any cigar, Connecticut Shade, Habano, Maduro, anything you could throw at it. I think Sacaba pairs up well. The other one is Zaya. Zaya is made in Trinidad. And uh, in the Caribbean, and it's kind of the cousin to Sacapa, and and Zaya is a little bit cheaper, maybe ten, fifteen bucks a bottle cheaper, but Sacapa uh, you can get for fifty to sixty bucks in a lot of places, and Zaya is excellent as well. So those are two rums that I would always first start off with, um, and then a, a third rum that I would go with would be, I love Barbincourt. Barbincourt is from Haiti. Uh, Barbincourt has several different uh, varieties. And their rum is interesting because it's rum agricole opposed to rum industrial. Rum industrial is probably 99% of the rum world. Rum industrial is made from molasses, which is a byproduct of sugarcane. Rum agricole represents about 1% of all rum produced, and that is made directly from sugarcane juice. So it never gets made into molasses. Okay. And so the majority of the islands that make rum agricole are the French-speaking islands. So Martinique, Guadeloupe, Haiti, those places a lot of times will make rum straight from pure sugarcane juice. But 99% of rum around the world is is rum industrial, which is made by by byproduct of sugarcane. And uh, Bacardi, Bacardi, most people pronounce it as Bacardi. The gentleman who created Bacardi is Fluencio Bacardi. He was Cuban. And up to that point, rum was a very edgy spirit, a very, um, a lot of bite. There wasn't a lot of refinement to it. But he is credited as 
creating a process that really made rum very drinkable. And so many of the Spanish-speaking island rums, or the Spanish-speaking country rums, have a very smooth rum. The French islands had the rum agricole, and then the English-speaking islands, like Jamaica and some of the other Caribbean islands that speak English, they have a much more stout, more British-style rum. So rum is very interesting in that, in that fact is usually, not always, there's always exceptions to the rules, but usually the language that the country speaks will tell you usually a lot about the rum that's being made in those places. Okay. Yeah. So I sidetracked this. We were talking about baseball. Mm, yeah, yeah. So uh, baseball historian, uh, I, I have noticed that you are, you are quite the baseball fan for sure. Um, so I, I asked on Facebook a couple of weeks ago just because I, I heard somebody talking about it on the radio. Um, how, do, how do you feel about Hall of Fame, the, the Hall of Fame as far as Pete Rose and Barry Bonds go? I think Pete Rose should be in hands down. And my argument is that the whole betting on baseball thing, uh, after he lied about it, um, look, first of all, Baseball Hall of Fame is absolutely the hardest Hall of Fame to get into. Uh, they have they take the smallest amount opposed to the NBA, the NFL, um, pick any other sport in the world. Major League Baseball has the toughest uh, re- restrictions to get in. But Pete being the all-time hits leader, being that career that he had as long, the World Series rings that he has, uh, and the whole betting on baseball was really he got caught and in trouble when he was a manager. Yeah. So you can be inducted into the Hall of Fame as a manager, as an executive, as a commissioner, mm-hmm. as a player. There's all different ways you can be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, which, by the way, is no, is a completely different company than Major League Baseball. Yeah. They're not the same company. And so, in my opinion, you bring him in as a player. Pete, uh, Pete Rose deserves to be in as a player and what he did on the field. Now, uh, he didn't have a long enough career as a manager to be in the Hall of Fame anyways, but that's when he got caught gambling. So to me, that would null and void out his management career. Yeah. But as a player, he absolutely deserves to be in. Yeah. The whole Barry Bonds thing is it's tough for me, man, because you literally one week you can I could say absolutely not. If you did steroids, you got caught or there was a major suspicion of you having using steroids, absolutely not. You do not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But then on the flip side, there are no doubt that over the last 15 years, there are, there are a few guys that have been inducted that absolutely, I think, had used steroids, abused steroids. And I think that as baseball fans, we like to think of the Hall of Fame as, as more special than any other Hall of Fame, that we can keep those guys out. But we, we, we haven't. Some have yeah. gotten through. So I think you induct everyone who puts up the numbers to get in, and then you allow fans to, to, you know, look. Uh, I mean, a guy like Johnny Bench to me, he's a legend. Yeah. You know, if Barry Bonds was in the Hall of Fame and I got to meet Barry Bonds, it wouldn't be as exciting for me yeah. because I know what his career entailed. Yeah. So on that side, every you could ask me tomorrow and I could change my mind. Yeah. It is there is no right answer. Well that's you know like as far as as far as Pete Rose goes and the Hall of Fame in general, like, you know, the Hall of Fame is supposed to be performance based. Yeah. Like get you know I, I, I don't know, uh 
you know, I, I think I, I like your perspective on the management side, you know, but, you know, gambling as a manager. All right. So, you know, even if he wasn't long enough, even if he was a manager long enough, then yeah. fine. You don't get to go on as a manager. Yep. But I mean, you, you look at him as a player with the stats yep. like that, that player deserves to be in. Absolutely. You know, um, and Barry Bonds. Uh, yeah, the steroids thing is is very, very hard to to judge. Uh, you know, as far as the Hall of Fame goes, because I mean, how many guys in the Hall of Fame did use, and we don't know. Or or guys that back maybe that weren't using steroids, but maybe were using other things that helped dull the pain. Maybe back in the '40s and '50s, they were using shots of you know things that they would give um animals to to dull pain or, yeah. or to help bulk them up there were things that were going on way before today what we consider the regular steroid oh, use yeah. and um there were guy there were guys in the hall of fame any hall of fame that are not good human beings yeah they were terrible husbands they were terrible fathers they were alcohol abusers they were drug addicts yeah. i mean you know, uh, there's guys that are in the Hall of Fame that were notorious for being uh, cocaine addicts, you know, when they played. Yeah. So I, it's hard for me to think of the Hall of Fame as a moral, a place where you just put moral individuals. Yeah. I don't think anything like that. When I think of, I love, um, uh, I like presidential history too. I'm kind of a, a little bit of a presidential history buff. Look, we, we've got some presidents that have done some terrible things, <laughs> but we still we still honor them for what they've done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and and so, you know, I, I, I uh, Ulysses S. Grant considered a terrible president, yeah, but a phenomenal, probably one of the greatest military minds in American history. Yeah. All right, you know it's it's it is what it is. You know what I mean? Well, he, you know he'll always be remembered for being a great soldier and a great leader, but he'll never be remembered as a great president. So I look at a guy like Barry Bonds. He was a great ball player. If you yeah. look at his stats before he blew up like a balloon, I mean the guy was on a career path to being a Hall of Fame, hands down. So there are times where uh, there's a book I just read called Baseball Cop, and it's it's written by a gentleman who worked for Major League Baseball, and part of his job was to help root out everything from players from Latin America lying about their birth date, fake um, names, to people being smuggled out of Cuba illegally through Mexican cartels, and 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 big part of it was also the drugs in Major League Baseball. And when you read his account of his experience, uh, Major League Baseball turned a blind eye to a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't until it made it was made public that then he started backtracking. So at some point, I think baseball has to take uh, take responsibility that they help create the Barry Bonds of the world. They help create the Alex Rodriguez of the world. Absolutely. They help create that culture of more guys were coming to to watch baseball. More families were were coming to games because of the power, because of what was going on. And baseball made a lot of money off that, and they promoted those guys. And uh, a lot of you know a lot of ways they turned their back on them. But yeah. at the end of the day, um, if you were the best at what you did, even if you got caught, or even if there was just huge suspicion, uh, there's a piece of me that says, man, they are part of the legacy of baseball. And I mean, another thing is like, you know, just taking steroids isn't going to mm-hmm. 
yeah. make you Superman. You you still have to work your ass. Out. You still have to yeah. work out like a motherfucker. You to, can't. You and I can't just take steroids and then go hit a yeah. ninety-eight mile per hour fastball. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You have to have the skill to play the game. Exactly. And you have to constantly work at that skill. And I think my cousin. I think it was my cousin that said it when I posted it on Facebook. Is, um, you know, one side of it that people don't normally look at is. I mean, like it or not, what steroids did for baseball. Yeah. Because after the strike, baseball was all but dead. It was dying. And then all of a sudden you've got this this, chase, this chase for Mark the home McGuire. runs. Yeah. And that's where Barry Bonds said, man, hey, I'm stealing bases and I'm hitting doubles and triples and no yeah. one cares. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And everyone in baseball, I was very young at that. I'm only 38. When the, the home run derby was going on or the home run – craze that was going on i was in high school yeah so and as I. big a baseball fan as i was i i didn't even think of steroids yeah so um i just thought of cork bats being a yeah yeah, fan. yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely <laughs> sammy sosa with the cork bat yeah. um as long as there is money to be made in a sport there's always going to be people trying to cheat and get around oh yeah that's just the way it is you could go back to a guy like shoeless joe jackson of the White Sox, mm-hmm. the Black Sox scandals of 1919, uh, they you know the the argument they threw the World Series to the Cincinnati Reds, and uh, look, I mean when you look at that and you say, but Shoeless Joe Jackson a great career, and but he's banned from Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think guys like Shoeless Joe Jackson and Pete Rose absolutely deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I think a guy like Barry Bonds. He still has an opportunity to get in. He's not. He's not going to be on the on the list anymore to get in right away. But he'll be on the on the veteran committee's list, and there's other lists that he can go on. So it's not like oh, you missed your chance. He'll never be in. Yeah. There's a possibility that down the line that a younger generation of riders who maybe don't hold the same grudges can look at that and say, all right, look, we understand the old riders didn't want anything to do with them, but looking at his overall career and looking back. He can still get into the Hall of Fame, so it's yeah. not over for Barry yeah. or or Mark McGuire, any of those guys. Yeah. You know? um, I mean, they have incredible careers. So, um, yeah, man, I'm I'm kind of a, a baseball historian. I mean, I love the old uh, like the Negro League, uh, the Latin American baseball leagues, the winter leagues, and all this kind of stuff. I just I love that stuff, man. I don't know, it's part of Americana. Yeah, you know, so it's a big part of it. And look, you look at some of these old black and white photos. Of um, of these baseball parks, everyone had suits on, everyone had nice hats yeah. on, and the gentlemen had cigars in their mouths watching baseball. Yeah. I mean, it was just part of the game. Branch Rickey, you know, who was famous with the Dodgers, who brought, you know, broke the color barrier by bringing Jackie Robinson in. I mean, he had a cigar in his mouth constantly. Um, you could name dozens of baseball players back in the twenties, thirties, and forties, fifties that had their own cigar brand. Um, all you got to do is Google baseball, you know, and cigars, and you'll see these old – I mean, everyone – there's a great picture of um, Babe Ruth uh, mm-hmm. in a cigar shop hawking his cigars at the height of his career. I mean, can you imagine um, – not a retired – like, I know Rocky's got a couple guys, a couple of retired athletes that, that promote a cigar brand or whatever, but can you imagine Bryce Harper right now or Anthony Rizzo – you know, hanging out in a cigar shop, yeah. hawking their their cigar. I mean, it's just there's a there's a connection there. I guess that that all kind of leads together for me, anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah, different different day and age for sure. Yeah. Um. So, you're a Cincinnati fan. Die um, hard. 
grew up a Cubs fan, though. Did you? Yeah, yeah. My mother uh, was born and raised in Chicago. I was born in Chicago, but raised in Ohio. And so as a young kid, I was a, I was a diehard Cubs fan. But as I hit my 10, 11, 12 years old, and I thought, I don't even live in Chicago. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I started to be, uh, in, you know, very interested in Reds history. And, and again, I mean, 1869, the history goes back on the since the oldest professional baseball team. Yeah. Um, so I just became a diehard Reds fan. But I'm one of those guys where uh, if the Reds can't win it all, then I'm very happy to see the Cubs. It makes my mother very happy. My mom's a diehard baseball fan. My father wasn't the guy who got me into baseball. It was my mother. Yeah. And so um, – so I, I do love the Cubs, and, and um, so I always enjoy watching the Cubs as well. Yeah. But diehard Reds fan through and through. Um, I don't know. I guess. Uh, I mean, you're you're definitely you definitely seem pretty well versed in in all of baseball. So, um, who would who would your favorite player, your favorite current player, be? Joey Votto. Yeah. I think Joey Votto. I know you were. He plays for the Reds, right? So it, it's it's. Um, not shocking, I guess, for my – but he, to me, he's a throwback player. He reminds me of a Ted Williams. He reminds me of a guy who still cares about his batting average, where a lot of guys now seem to not care about batting average. He's a guy who consistently produces, consistently hits. He's always working on his swing. That's what I love. I love small yeah. ball. Um, to me, Joey is a throwback ball player. He's a guy who reminds me of the old-school kind of – ball player you know he wears the high socks he uh he definitely uh, it's all about hitting uh, you see him choking up on the bat you know he gets down with two strikes you know a lot of guys don't I mean he chokes up on the bat and it reminds me of my father when I was younger and he my dad would throw maybe some baseballs to me and he'd say choke up on that bat choke up on yeah, that bat yeah and you don't never see that anymore but you watch him play and he'll choke up on the bat when he gets down two strikes or whatever and to me he's an old school player um He's not very flashy. He's not a flashy guy. He's, in fact, I think he. Whenever you see him do interviews, he tends to be really weird when he does interviews. No. He's not a, you know, he's not. He doesn't have that Bryce Harper, uh, Chris Bryant charm. He's in. Uh, he's just a really, really good guy. And so I. And he's a cigar smoker. So I'm. I'm curious now. We're we're about the same age. I'm mm-hmm. I'm 37. I'll be 38 in December. Mm. Uh, you grew up your your early years as a Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm cu- who was your who was your favorite Cubs player growing up? There were two. Andre Dawson to me was just uh, there was something about Andre Dawson the the curly hair, the 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 tight uniform. He was a strong guy. There was something about watching him play that I loved, and 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 I do think it's a, a shame that he's in the Hall of Fame as an Expo and not as a Cub. Now. You can make the argument that he had a longer, <laughs> more, you know, maybe the bulk of his stats as a expo, but come on, man. The guy is a cub. Yeah. So, and then Ryan Sandberg, Rhino. Okay. I mean, Rhino to me, my favorite player, Reds growing up, was Barry Larkin. And so Barry and Rhino were kind of in that same second base, shortstop kind of area there. And uh, there was so much, I don't know, a lot of balls hit that way at that time. And, uh, a lot, a lot of home runs back then, and I just love the way that they played. You know, yeah. See, I was I was a catcher in little league, mm. and hardest position. Yeah, it's definitely rough. Um, so, with that being said, like obviously Dawson, Dunstan, Sandberg, yep. Sutcliffe, you know, uh, all 
all all all up there for me. But uh, you know, my favorite player when I was a kid, with me being a, a catcher, plus the fact that there was a song about him, but uh, Jody Davis. Okay. You know, there was a song, uh, Jody Davis, King of the Home Run Swing. Um, but yeah, so when when I was growing up, uh, Jody Davis was my favorite Cubs player. Nice. But the only autographed baseball I have is uh, Sean Dunstan. I remember, so, yeah, I remember or, no, 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 I'm sorry. It's Andre Dawson. Andre Dawson. Andre Dawson, yeah. yeah. A friend of mine was in Vegas, and he was there. Oh, nice. She's a Sox fan, diehard Sox fan. Yeah. She's like, I don't want to fucking. She's like, she called, she's like, do you want me to wait in line for you to get a. Andre Dawson yeah. time ball. <laughs> fuck, fuck yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Absolutely. The Hulk. So, Come on. You know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's cool. That's that's still sitting in the box. I don't have a display case or anything for it. But It would go great here in your man cave. Yeah, that's. It would go I mean, good. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I call it the black flannel studio. Uh, the the walls are you know black flannel, and um, I'm going to be expanding it and you know getting. I'd, I'd like to get some lounge chairs. You know, that'd be nice. That that'd make it so much better. Well, <laughs> then I'll be able to say I knew him when. Yeah, exactly. Folding exactly. chairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Folding chairs, flannel, and uh, plastic and egg cartons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, um, you know, talking about the Cubs, um, those those are some fun years to watch them play, and and you know, lovable losers or whatever. Yeah. And, and um, I don't know. I just <clears throat> the Cubs have such a great history, and uh, to see them win it um, a couple years ago now, I tell you, my mother is a diehard Cubs, a yeah. diehard fan, and she was on cloud nine. Oh, I bet. And so that was great for me to see my mom, you know. Yeah. Um, the Reds won the World Series last time in 1990, so at least I was 10 years old. You know? Yeah. My mom, you know, she wasn't even born, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was really, really cool to see that happen, you know. Yeah, it's, I, I, I wish my dad was in town when, when they won, but uh, my parents live in Florida now. Mm. Uh, but, you know, my you know my son and me and a bunch of friends and my wife and, um, you know, we we were all together for it, so that's I got you know got a picture of me and my son, you know, with with yeah. the Cubs win in the background on the TV and all that. Um, our, so buddy, I, our buddy it, Skip Martin went to one of the games. Yeah, yeah, from Romacraft, he went to one yeah. of the games. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a, a friend of mine lived in Texas. Her brother, I think, lived in Connecticut, and for Game Seven, uh, she she happened to be in town for the world series and her boss let her have an extra day to come back to town so she could go to game seven she picked up tickets for game seven her brother drove in and they went to the game and sure as shit you know the cubs win and they stayed i guess they they stayed until they kicked them out but they got to they got to talk to a bunch of people and had just an, an amazing experience you know uh, and down in Chicago, over near Wrigleyville, is Blue Havana. Uh, Connie's the owner. Connie's a really good guy. And I saw a bunch of video the night that uh, the Cubs won, and it was it was incredible to see. I mean, I would have loved to been in Chicago during that time because when they won, the streets were just packed. Yeah, that's really cool, man. That yeah. was that was. I mean, that's uh, you know, hundred plus years of pent up. Oh yeah. You know, frustration yeah. being lent out. You know, I mean, there's not many teams. That that have that you know Boston when they broke that curse finally some years ago, um, uh, you know it was kind of cool. Uh, and Theo Epstein, who yeah. who <clears throat> uh, who's going to go into Hall of Fame as an executive? Oh yeah. I mean the guy breaks the curse of the Great Bambino and then comes here breaks the curse of the Billy Goat. Yep. I mean that guy. 
I don't. He literally could not do another thing, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Already. Oh yeah, I mean the guy yeah. is just. I, I'm just wondering where where he's going to go next to turn to turn, whatever team it is to turn around. From from what I know, from just the baseball heads that I know, um, he's always he loves L.A. He loves um, he's always wanted to go out to the Dodgers. Yeah. That's what I've heard. And that who knows whenever he's done with Chicago or whenever he feels they need to move on. Although he's the highest paid executive in, in baseball, I don't know, you know, he's going to go anywhere right now. Um, but I think that's the next place he'll go is the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Dodgers will be his swan song, that's, if you yeah, will. Yeah, as, as much as I would love to keep Theo around for, <laughs> for all the time, I, I know yeah. it's not going to last forever. No, I mean, these guys, you know, they and, move on and they, you know, they get, they, like anybody else with a job, sometimes they get a little complacent and they go, oh, I want a little different well, scenery. Well, yeah, I mean, some, somebody like him with, with, with that mind, you, you have to, yeah. you have to go. Yeah. You, you know, and especially, you know, like you said, with with uh, Boston, Chicago, like, you know, he's got to have that in his mind. Like, you know, who who can I turn around next? Yeah. Or, you know, who yeah. who needs it the most? Absolutely. You know, so I, I could see that, you know. <laughs> no, like, right right, now, right who, now it would be the Miami Marlins. <laughs> yeah. Like, who, who needs it the most? Where yeah. where should I go? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, more of a more of a uh, charity case than yeah, anything yeah, else. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think Phil Knight tried that in an NBA. After yeah. he did what he did with uh, Chicago and and the Lakers, he went to the to the Knicks. Although it's not working out the way, uh, yeah. You know, he, I'm sure he wanted it to work out. That's Just as if I think if you had Theo down in Miami, I don't think he could turn that team around right now. I think it's yeah. going to be a long, <laughs> long haul down in Miami, man. Yeah. It's going to be some 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 long some rough years down there, man. Yeah, basketball is something that I don't I don't really know anything about. Yeah. But I, I was I was starting to pay a little bit more attention to it because uh uh the guys that I work with, um, you know, we work midnights and um you know, that would be what would what would be on, you know, we'd we'd watch basketball highlights for the past couple of months, you know, while while yeah. basketball. And um you know, so I, I started paying attention to it a little bit more. Uh but that's that's probably going to go the way of the dodo now because I I just put my two weeks in and I'm I'm changing jobs, mm. uh, so uh, I I highly doubt that I'll ever end up getting into basketball. But yeah, you know I, I the only thing basketball I watch is usually the final the yeah. final. So that's the only thing I really watch of basketball. It's, I like like I've I've been to a couple of games. Like I've been to a couple of Bulls games and it's it's great going to the game. I just can't watch it on TV. I've been to a Jazz game. I've been to a Celtics game. A Miami game and somebody else. I don't remember. But, uh, you know, growing up in Ohio, we didn't have an NBA team in Cincinnati at that time. At one time, they did have a team, uh, the Cincinnati Royals. And when the Cincinnati Royals left, they went to, I think, Kansas City. And because there was already a baseball team, the Kansas City Royals, they changed their name to, like, the Kansas City Kings or whatever. And eventually now they're the Sacramento Kings. But Sacramento Kings started in Cincinnati. Gotcha. And uh, their star player was Oscar Robinson, uh, the big O. And Oscar still lives in Cincinnati. And uh, he was, like, the first player to average a triple-double the whole season. And he was kind of what Kurt Flood was for baseball when he fought for, you know, players' rights and, and things like that. That's what big O is really known for, too. Uh, he wound up winning a championship with Milwaukee with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar before Kareem changed his name. Um, but he was in Ohio, and he went to University of Cincinnati. And at that time, they had regional drafts. And so the Cincinnati Royals had drafted him. So um, 
that's a little bit of like Cincinnati history was kind of cool. But growing up, we didn't have an NBA team. Yeah, we didn't have hockey, and hockey came to Columbus, Ohio, not that long ago. Yeah. So for me, there was no hockey. There was no NBA. It was basically a baseball town, and the Bengals have been there, but. Even the Bengals, I mean, it's a Cincinnati's a, a baseball town, yeah, and it has been since 1860s. And so, um, yeah, baseball is kind of my forte. I've been yeah. to one hockey game. It was the Pants, Florida Panthers versus the New Jersey Devils, and that was kind of cool. Just not my thing, but I get it. You know, if you're from Chicago, yeah, you know, you have the the history of the Blackhawks. Um, but growing up where I grew up, that, that wasn't a that wasn't something you watched. Yeah, you know, hockey was not a thing. Yeah, as far as uh, you know, having teams in your city, whatnot. That's when when me and my wife got together. You know, she asked, she's like, "Why why are you a Cubs fan? You you live in Indiana." Mm. It's like, I got, you know, that's we don't have any any baseball around here at all. You know, yeah. Uh, she's like, "Well, what about the Bears? Why are you a Bears fan?" I was like, "Because Chicago's right here. Indianapolis yeah. is all the way down there." Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, you know that's uh, being in this North, part of Indiana, Indiana is is a lot of it's Cubs territory. Yeah. Even though you're essentially on the south and mm-hmm. it's Cubs area and it's big time Bears country. Oh, absolutely. And you know the history that the Colts, you know, didn't come to Indianapolis until I want to say the '60s or '70s. Yeah. So up to that point, people in Indiana were all Bears fans. So oh, yeah. I still meet old guys in Indianapolis, old timers that have you know lived in Indiana their whole life, and they have Bears hats. And yeah. Why you wear a Bears hat? Well, yep. shoot, coming up, man, there was no you yeah, know exactly. NFL team. You know, it was Baltimore Colts. So. Yeah. Um, definitely the Bears have a longer history around this area. What was fascinating to me was uh, how much of a Chicago presence there is in uh, Phoenix. I, I lived oh, my in, God. I lived in Phoenix for six months. Mesa, Arizona yeah, is like little specific. Chicago. I, yeah, I was in Mesa. And, yeah, I, I know I know the Cubs do their, yep. their uh, Cactus League there. But, I mean, everything. Every, you know, Food. Yeah, food. Restaurants. Food, football, baseball. Yeah. You know, it's It's Chicago. When you, you know. go out to that part of Arizona, you know what I, I as a kid, um, all the people I knew in Chicago, they went out west for vacationing. They went to Arizona. They went to SoCal. All the kids that I knew that lived in Cincinnati, they would go to Florida for vacation. Yeah, you know, and so I don't know if there was a split there in the Midwest where these people went west and these people <laughs> went south, but uh, everyone I knew in Chicago, they would as kids, they would vacation in places like Arizona. So I don't know if where that comes from i'm sure there's history behind it but when you go out to a place like mesa arizona what shocks me too is not only the 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 windy city feel that you get out there but you'll actually see license plates illinois license plate that's a long drive man yeah and so not only are people flying out there they have maybe retired they're retired out there and they bring their sports teams with them but there are people that obviously drive out there and drive home. I mean, that's yeah. a long drive, man. Well, it's, we we were we were on the Florida side, so I mean, you know, we've been Northwest Indiana my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we used to go down to Florida every summer to visit my grandparents. So uh, I'm not too much into college football these days. Mm-hmm. But when I was growing up, I I was a Florida Gators fan, mm. and um, you know, hated the Seminoles. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that that still sticks with me. I I still don't watch too much college football. But, you know, if I hear, oh, hey, Gators are playing the Seminoles this weekend or uh, the Gators are playing Tennessee, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to watch that. Yeah. You know. Uh, I worked for Charlie Tarano for years. Even when I was at CAO, we distributed a lot of the Tarano cigars. Mm-hmm. But Tarano basically made 90% of CAO cigars. Hmm. So, and Charlie was a Gator. Uh, he got his uh, bachelor's 
with the Gators. He got his master's with uh, the Seminoles, whatever. But he's a Gator, yeah. and so um, I got uh, I got a lot a, a big education on the Gators working for him all those yeah. years. So, um, but as a I, yeah, I never college football has never done anything. For yeah, me. that's football I, I in just, general. I just can't follow it. Yeah, I I love to catch a Bears game. I love to catch a, a Bengals game. You know, my mom's a diehard Bears fan, so you know she'll text me during the games. Um, I have to say, your mom sounds like a swell person. She, yeah, you know what? It's funny. My growing up, my father loved golf and tennis. Yeah. My mother was a football, baseball. So, and I grew up. My parents were divorced, and they always got along. But I was with my mom ninety percent of the time. And so, when the Cubs came to Cincinnati, uh, Riverfront Stadium, we went to every Reds and Cubs game. Yeah, it was easier to get tickets than drive to Chicago to Wrigley Field. Oh, yeah. It was. And so we were there, and, and we were watching the Cubs play. And so we would go to watch the Cubs play the Reds. So um, she was the one that got me into sports. But, yeah, college football, I went to University of Cincinnati. And in that university, when I went to school, there was a basketball school. Bobby Huggins, it was all Nicky Van Exel. I mean, you can go on and on. Corey Blunt, all these great guys that came through there. Kenyon Martin. And they would beg us students to go to the football games. Now if you go to the University of Cincinnati campus, football's big, yeah. you know. I think they started a season off 2-0. and So I had a good friend of mine, Willie, who lives down in Bradenton, Florida. He's a great friend of mine, college buddy. And uh, Willie worked for the, the football team when he was in college. And so he's always keeping me updated on what the Bearcats are doing football-wise. But football, uh, college football has never been a big, a big yeah. thing for me at all. But now I live in Florida, and college football seems like a big, big ordeal. So. Oh, you're in Florida? Yeah, now? I, I moved That's to Florida I, recently. I, I meant to ask uh, earlier when you mentioned you, you lived in Cincinnati for a while, but so. I literally just moved to Florida a couple weeks ago. Okay. So it's been not even a month. Wow. My, my wife's from Puerto Rico. Um, she went to University of Xavier, had a scholarship to go there, and uh, she's Latin, speaks Spanish. And, and so her idea was go, go to Xavier, this place called Cincinnati, Ohio, she'd never heard of get her education there and then move to some big city and i totally screwed that up right i I married her (laughs) had two kids and kept her in cincinnati and she's always been a fish out of water right i mean there's not a lot of latin culture in cincinnati you know what i mean there there, you know and uh and so all these years she's bugged me we've had the opportunity to move to miami working for a couple different companies and but with uh with crown heads i fly over the country i'm always traveling so it really didn't matter where i lived and once Mike and John gave me their blessing, um, moved to moved the family to Florida. So we live in Dunedin, Florida, which is a little like kind of beach town next to Clearwater. Oh, okay. So on the Gulf side. Yeah, that's so. my, my my parents are Ocala, so that's mm, I want to yeah. say that's about forty five minutes to an hour away, mm-hmm. something like that. So I live in uh, the Dunedin, which is the spring training uh, home for the Toronto Blue Jays, and they also have a single A team there as well. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, we were. Before we got married, like we before we decided on how we were going to get married, um, so we got married in June, and like we we kept going back and forth what we were going to do. And uh, Clearwater was was a spot, you know, it was just going to be me and her and our son, mm. just go get married on the beach, nice, um, you know, whatnot. Um, but you know, ended up just uh, having a small thing here at home, uh, you know, not not at our house, but you know, in this area. I uh, want to get married on the beach too, and it never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, plans don't always work out. No, no, but um, that's. I mean, it it just kept going back and forth of uh, how basically how many people we wanted to be there. Yeah, and you know how big we wanted it to be. Um, 
but yeah, we you know we were looking at Clearwater uh, just because it was it was close enough to close enough to my parents' house to where we could we could hang out there. So uh, what's okay. gonna what's okay. gonna follow up this Maduro the best? I would recommend to do a, a Jericho Hill. That's what I was thinking. I'm gonna do um, because I did a four kicks. I'm gonna light up a Headley Grange. Yeah, I, I like Florida. I like Florida. I have a brother that lives in Naples. He's been there for probably 15 or 20 years. My mother just retired to, uh, to Florida. Um, she retired to Naples, but she's looking at moving closer to Clearwater. And um, I like Florida a lot. It's a little too hot for me. Yeah. But uh, I do like Florida. I love the beach. My wife is obviously a, a beach person. Yeah. She, you know, to her, being around the ocean is something. I mean, she lived on an island surrounded by, you know, so that's what she she wanted, and and at the end of the day, I'm on a plane, three sometimes four weeks a month, and I thought, oh, let's make her happy. And we yeah. found this little town, and we really like it a lot. And literally the first week I was there, I went to uh, uh, the Dunedin Single A uh, Dunedin Blue Jays game. Yeah, bought one of their hats. So yeah, man, take me out of Cincinnati, but I'm I'm still a baseball guy. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So all right, so we're we're getting our next cigars ready. Um, I, I have a question about cutters. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're we're using the the straight cut guillotine. You guillotine, know. Yep. Um, how do you feel about uh, V cuts and punches? And is it is it more cigar specific, or do you pretty much just stick with? Um, I don't use anything but a guillotine. Yeah, guillotines can be used on everything. Yeah, if it's a perfecto, figurado, parejo, box press. A guillotine will work for everything. A V-cut, although most people use it on a Parejo, I do see people now with the torpedoes and the bellicosas are using it on there, and it actually looks pretty cool. I've never liked the bullet or the hole no. punch. I've never liked that. I know it looks great because the it, cigar makers, work they work so hard on making that head of that cigar yeah. absolutely perfect. And sometimes, like, they'll use the, the Cuban triple cap. And, you know, they, they really work hard to make that look really pretty. And all we do is we cut it off. Yeah. So I think <laughs> for aesthetics, for the way it looks, the bullet cut is great because it maintains the integrity of that head of that cigar. But to me, convenience is guillotine. Yeah. I mean, to me, a guillotine, I don't know, maybe it's growing up watching um, – uh, MacGyver, but I feel like that guillotine could come in handy for so many situations. You know what I mean? Get kidnapped by some Russians or something, use a guillotine to cut your way. I don't know. I just I love the guillotine. I think the guillotine is the most versatile tool. And if you look back, there's a great shop in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, called Smokes on Burdick, and his lounge is filled with vintage cigar memorabilia, everything from posters to. Um, signs, store signs to everything you can imagine from every every decade, and he has a bunch of cutters. And uh, guillotine was it? Guillotine is really the main cutter. Now I could tell you that when I'm in Nicaragua, I spend most of my time in Nicaragua. Uh, most of the guys there just pinch the cap off. Yeah, you know what I mean. Very few people are using cutters down there, um, but we like our our toys up 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 uh, up in this part of the world and and. Um, I just think a simple guillotine yeah. gets the job done, and it works for every cigar. Well, I got that. I got that one. Uh, it was like four or five bucks mm-hmm. when uh, we we took a cruise and went to the Cayman Islands and whatnot. Mm. I didn't have a cutter, and I, I picked that up at a shop, 
and I, I was pretty shocked at how how sharp the blade was for being such a cheap yeah. cutter. Well, this one here, the one we're talking about, is a, a one-sided guillotine. Yeah. I, I, I like the two-sided guillotine uh, because, to me, it, it, it equal pressure on the cap, and there's glue on that cap, so sometimes a single-sided guillotine can, can cause a cigar cap to crack. But this one here is really freaking sharp. I mean, this one really did a hell of a, a cut on this cigar for for four bucks. Incredible! It was so. I mean, that, and that was almost two years ago or so. But going back to like the punches and and whatnot, like I I was a big fan of the punch for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like like you said, you know, it looks good. Like it's, I I always get so damn satisfied. Like when if if I if I punch a cigar and that. It's such a perfect, perfect hole with a nice thick cap. Yeah, it just it just looks nice. Yeah, it does. Um, but that that brings uh, some some draw issues uh, sometimes. Uh, sometimes sometimes it's fine. Uh, but lately it's been it's been uh, you know guillotine and um, V cut. And the V, I have to tell you, fifteen years ago when I got in this business, I couldn't tell you. I didn't know anyone that used the V. I never remember seeing a V cut. It's probably only been probably the last seven years, I want to say, to where I've seen people say, "No, I love V cuts. Uh, yeah. I strictly like V cuts." Or companies like Zycar and Calibri and all these cutter companies <clears throat> put a lot of time and energy into the making deep Vs and all these different yeah. kind of V cuts you can get. But I, I could be wrong. Um, but. 15 years ago, I never remember seeing a V-cut. I never remember ever seeing a V-cut. Back 15 years ago, everyone had the, the single-sided guillotines or the scissors, you know? The and scissors intrigue me. Yeah. I, I just think to myself, like, how – I've never used them. It's like, how, how well do they actually cut? I think it was Zeno through Davidoff some years ago. Create, uh, this is probably 15 years ago. They had a, a – I mean, it was like 150 bucks or something like that for yeah. the scissors. It looked beautiful. Yeah. And in a lot of the old ads in Cigar Aficionado, when it was Big Cigar, Little Word Aficionado, back in the day, now it's Little Cigar, Big Aficionado, um, a lot of the ads, you'd see the, the scissors because they just looked really neat. Yeah. And then sometimes when you go to the high-end cigar bars around the world, like a Grand Havana Room in New York or a Grand Havana Room, and you always see the scissors laying around. I think there's an elegance to the scissors. I think it looks really neat. Um, I think Matt Booth a couple years ago did a, did a scissor as well. It looked like... Um, Almost like he had it where it looked like brass knuckles. Oh yeah. Um, but but those you know I, I I like the way they look and but they're like anything else they'll get dull. Yeah. And can destroy a cigar like anything else. Yeah, that's I, you know, like I said, I've never tried them, but you know, it always just seemed to me like I I just don't see that as doing a very good job. Uh, I've had great scissors that slice through a cigar like like butter. Yeah. And I've I've had. I've seen scissors that just are terrible and they crunch the end of the cigar. Yeah. But I think a lot of times, too, people take way too much off their cigar. I mean, I meet guys that have been smoking for 20 years, 30 years. I've met guys that have been smoking almost as long as I've been alive. And they're cutting half And they're inch still off the, cutting yeah. a half inch off the top of their cigar. Yeah. And I always say, like, your cigar should never look like the top of the monster from Frankenstein's head. It should never be completely <laughs> flat. It should never look that way ever. As you said that I checked mine. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm judging you. Yeah, no, that, yours looks great. Yours looks great. But it should literally, just that little itty-bitty yeah. cap, the last thing that goes onto a cigar. I tell guys, get on YouTube, look at them rolling a cigar, and see that last little piece that they cut out with that little round yeah. tool. That's all that really needs to come off. Yeah. You know, and if there's anything else in there, they have maybe they had a little extra leaf that they, you know, just too much. You could just pry it out with your nail or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, your, that little piece is the most you need to cut, oh, yeah. cut that's off. I, you know? I, always, I always look to see where the cap ends, and I try to stay, you know, an eighth to a quarter inch behind that mm-hmm. so that, you know, there's still a cap there holding the wrapper. So uh, this one's got a great draw on it, too. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, Jericho Hill is always good. So so uh, outside, of, outside of Crown Heads, mm. um, let's see. CAO, Tarano, Crown Heads. So, all those three out. Mm-hmm. Where are you at for uh, a go-to? In in my humidor, I always have plenty of Roma Craft. Uh, I'm a big fan of Skip Martin. Um, I, I think Skip is just a a wonderful individual. I think he makes a hell of a cigar. I'm a big fan of Espinosa. I think Espinosa has a great lineup of cigars. I think Eric is a wonderful guy. I'm look, I tell everyone I'm biased as hell. Yeah. I'm biased as hell because mm-hmm. when I go down to Nicaragua and I'm and, and I'm hanging out with these guys, you know, I'm I'm hanging out with guys I like and I tend to like their cigars. So Ernesto Perez Carrillo, his EPC line, which I think most people um I think there's a lot of people who have yet to discover that line. I think EPC cigars are just fantastic I all the way around. I love La Astoria. La Astoria is fantastic. Yeah. Um, the Encore, too, was solid. I, I was lucky enough to be in the Dominican Republic with Ernie when he launched Encore, the follow-up to Astoria, uh, in the Dominican. We did the official launch there. I was with him. That was really a great experience. So in my humidor, if you were to open up my big cabinet humidor, besides the stuff that I smoked and that I you know, have, You'll see EPC. You'll see Eric Espinosa cigars. You'll see um, you'll see um, uh, um, Roma Craft. Those are brands that I go to very often that I really, really, really like. Um, lately, I've been smoking some of the uh, Black Label stuff. Yeah. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Calvin um, Woods Jr. He's based out of Chicago. He works for them, and I smoked a little bit of their stuff, but no much. But obviously, knowing Calvin and Calvin working for them really exposed me to a lot of their cigars, and I'm really enjoying a lot of their cigars. Um, I think you have to mention Pete Johnson. Yeah. I think um, everyone always smokes his brown label. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Tatuaje Brown label. But I think they're missing the boat. There's so many other great cigars that he makes that he works yeah. on. Everything from Tatuaje to a Latelier, which is other his, his yep. brand with his friends that he has. Um, those are great cigars. And um, I think Pepin is making phenomenal cigars for himself. You know, his new Opulencia, I think, is dynamite. Uh, his uh, Florida de las Antillas is, is a great cigar as well. So those are the cigars that are usually in my rotation. Yeah. In my rotation, heavily. Yeah, see, heavily. that's how... Most of what I've got is all singles. I'm I'm trying to smoke through my singles, and then I'm going to start stocking up on boxes. Um, Box buying to me is the best way to go. Yeah, that's. I was just talking to a friend and telling like, you know, I want to I want to get a solid rotation in. Of, you know that that's one of the best things about going through all the singles is yeah. seeing see what right, you like. Yeah, and now I'm I'm to the point where. I want to get that solid rotation in to where, all right, I, I know what I've got. I know what I want. And then 
have the have have some other stuff to uh you know yeah let's let's go with this you know i don't think there's anything more special than being able to share an aged cigar with a friend yeah so <clears throat> my aged collection in my humidor is pitiful now <laughs> but at one time it was damn impressive where you would come to my place and we would grill out in the back my backyard cincinnati and I could say to you, you know, uh, is there something you want to smoke? Or can I pick you out a cigar? And you say, I'd pick me out a cigar. I could say, hey, I have a cigar here. It's been aged 10 years. I have another cigar here, such and such, is aged at least 15 years. You can fake strength in a cigar. You can fake sweetness in a cigar. You can even fake some of the flavors in cigars. Some you know, there's people out there that'll maybe soak their leaf in coffee. Whatever. There's different ways that people can fake. They can use under fermented tobacco to give a cigar strength if they don't have enough lajero. You can't fake age yeah. in a cigar. There is distinctive flavors that you get from aged tobacco that you cannot fake. And to me, when when I see a guy come to my event, and uh, he'll say, "Oh, I've got three or four boxes of Crown Heads in my in my humidor," and he's buying more. You may think to yourself, "Why is this guy buying more? He's got boxes." Well, what the guy's doing is what a lot of us box buyers do: is that we'll buy a box, but we know that box we're going to smoke out of that box maybe one or two sticks a month. Yeah. And that box will last a year. We want to taste it as it kind of goes on, and then you can kind of put things aside. You know, when I worked for um, CAO, I just you know, being able to travel the country visiting cigar shops. And, and I will tell you that a lot of these old cigar shops have been so picked over nowadays. But back then, I could go into a shop and find a box of Tony Burhani's that were already 10 years old and then sit on them for another 5 or 10 years. And I could give you a cigar that almost had 20 years of age yeah. on it to smoke it. Yeah. Uh, that, to me, is what's fun oh, about yeah. cigars. Uh, I love smoking. I would tell you that almost any cigar you smoke. I remember Carlito Fuente. Uh, I was at a... Big Smoke, Las Vegas, and it was at one of the seminars, and he hands out an Opus X limited edition. It was called the Rising X. And he made it, I think, in honor of uh, New Orleans after the, the hurricane or whatever. And so these seminars, you'd get a cigar from a cigar maker that was hosting the seminar. And you would smoke it, and you would talk. Sometimes there would be food, sometimes there would be cocktails, and they're just kind of educating you, right? I'll never forget, I'm sitting there, uh, because I was out there with CAO, and we'd set up the booth already, or you know, and these seminars are the day before or whatever. So nothing really had to do. I got a pass, so I went to go to some of these seminars, and no one liked the cigar. You're talking in a room of probably 200 guys. You don't see any smoke, huh? And as Fuente, as Carlito Fuentes giving his speech, he goes, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You guys light up that cigar I gave you. Cigars are meant to be smoked." Don't put that in. I want you to smoke that cigar. Yeah. And then half the room lit up. The other half didn't light it up. You know, lit up something else or whatever. But <clears throat> that always kind of stuck with me. And so that's why I say my, my aged section in my, in my cabinet is not impressive anymore. I got to the point maybe five years ago where I said, what am I doing, man? Like some of these cigars, I'd enjoy them. I'm hoarding them, man. Yeah. So, you know, um, it was a lot of bringing people over and saying, hey, let's smoke three cigars tonight. Let's smoke one that's... You know, been on the market for a year. Let's smoke another one that's been five years. Let's smoke one that's 10 years. So I've burned through a lot of my collection. Yeah. Eventually, I'll build it back up. But um, it's hard to find aged cigars nowadays because I remember 15 years ago, you could find some of the old shops around the country that just had stuff stored away that was not touched yeah. or whatever. And you could get some really good. Nowadays, it's so picked over, man. Yeah. But um, 
I think that's what's great about buying boxes, that you can do that. You can do that with single sticks too, but there's something about buying a, a complete box. Let me tell you, I open hundreds of boxes every year. I still get geeked cutting that seal. Yeah. You know, taking the cellophane off, cutting the seal. On my Instagram, I'll do box openings where I'll do several pictures, cutting the, the thing, taking the lid off, opening the spider paper, taking out a cigar. And I, there's a romance to that that yeah. I still that still has that romance for me is opening oh, yeah. a box of cigars. Yeah. You know, um, and after all these years, uh, I've been smoking cigars uh, probably since 96, 98 was around the time I really got into cigars. And that still has a romance to it for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's, uh, let's see, age, age-wise, all all I've got, um, I've got six or seven cigars left out of a box that I, I won from um, the Jassim Kral mm, yeah. Ristafari, not this past year, but the, Good guy. the year before. He's a His great Connecticut guy. is incredible. Oh, I know. I should mention him. His Connecticut is yeah. dynamite. Uh, the what Zlatno Sans uh, is is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, see, I can uh, pronounce Aripiraka. Yeah. <laughs> I can't announce. I can't pronounce his. So yeah. together we'll get through this. Yeah. That's all. Oh, I'm sure I'm butchering butchering that too. You but, had me uh, convinced. Uh, I I want a box of uh, punch. Were they royal? Uh, oh shit! I can't think of it now. Uh, but any. It, yeah, like a like a punch Churchill mm-hmm. from uh, uh, let's see, they're two thousand two, mm. and I've got got six or seven of those left. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and then I I bought a box. I bought two boxes of the uh, the Labiju twenty two Petit oh, Robustos. Nice. Um, one of them I stuck to the side. Like I, I split the first one, mm-hmm. and the other one I stuck to the side. I bought them after my son was born. Nice. So, that's the cigar that I smoke every year on my son's birthday. Which, uh, you know, uh, middle of October I'll have my third one. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's 24 in those boxes, so I I could afford to, you know, take take an extra one out you know every couple of years or something uh but in theory if if my son wants to smoke a cigar with me on his 18th birthday his first legal cigar yeah will be a labiju 22 why wait till he's 18 16 is a good age well, yeah, 16 it, is a good it, age it, i don't it, know if that's politically well, correct that's, but that's uh completely uh that completely goes against our uh our fight against the fda that is true mind, that is true you know? that is true don't do and yeah. wait till you're 18 <laughs> boys and girls wait till you're 18 so in in theory if he wants to smoke a cigar on his 18th birthday, his first legal cigar will be uh, an uh, an 18-year-aged uh, my father. You realize 22. you realize you're going to spoil the hell out of him, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you're going to give him an 18-year-old Pepin Garcia. Yeah. That's that's. But you know, I'm I'm excited. Give the give the kid a Louis, you know, Louis drink, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're starting this kid off on the good lord, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, that's the goal. Make that's him, cool. Make him. Make him smoke something good instead yeah, of something, you know, instead of a Swisher. Yeah, you know? absolutely. That's most of us started with Philly it, Blunt. Exactly. I started with Philly Blunt Titans. That's yeah, be, between the Titans and the Swisher Sweets, uh, mm-hmm. that's that's what we take this to the uh, pool hall, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it, it's exciting for me because every year I get to see how much that cigar has changed. Yeah, you know, yeah. and in in my opinion, I think that's a good cigar to do it with. Yeah, you know. Um, I but think when aging a cigar, I think aging 
everyone has their opinion. It's just like, you know, cellophane on, cellophane off, right? (laughs) It's an opinion, and people have very strong opinions. But to me, aging a cigar to me was always about finding a full-bodied cigar that had great flavors off the bat and allowing that cigar to age. Yeah. Because to me, in 10 years, that cigar will lose strength. Like, if you want a full-bodied cigar... Most aged cigars don't have much strength left, but what they lose in strength, they gain in flavor. That's that's the thing with the with those punches. Yeah, you know, those punches are uh, what, uh, six, 16 years old, and it's super super mild. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it's still like every once in a while, it's you know what? Uh, I, I woke up before the wife and kid. I'm gonna go sit outside, grab a cup of coffee. Yeah, and smoke this cigar and and just you know it i guess experience what cuba once was yeah yeah, yeah, uh, yeah and yeah. and that's even that's even well after the the yeah, cuban heyday absolutely you know absolutely um which is the other argument that nobody seems to understand uh if, if they're not cigar smokers you know oh do you, you got any cubans yeah it's like, yeah well, yeah but i've also got this yeah i think you know? uh, there's always in uh, cuba deserves all of the romance that is based around his cigars because that's where the cigar culture really was birthed and i always think of wine i mean france italy will always have oh yeah this romance to it and back in the 70s when the california wine industry was kind of coming into its own there were people around the world said Are you, i would never drink a californian wine i'm drinking french i'm drinking italian i'm drinking you know the best bordeaux well now there's people around the world who want some of the best California wines in the yeah. world. And I think that's what happened with cigars. But they will always have that little extra romance. Oh, yeah. It's like eating, you know, Italian food here in the best Italian restaurant you can find. There's something romantic about eating a great Italian dish in Rome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and I will tell you, I've been to Cuba. I love Cuba. Um, I don't, you know, people have their opinions on, on visiting or not visiting or spending money there or not outside of that. I love Cuba, uh, and I don't care who you are, the romance of sitting on the back of Hotel Nacional, smoking a cigar in their back patio area, overlooking the Malacan, which is the ocean wall where the road goes, and that's where the, you know, the, the famous pictures of the ocean hitting the wall in the water, and they have the huge Cuban flag blowing in the back. There's something romantic oh, about I, that. And I can't Cuba will imagine. always, you know. And, and so I get when people go, oh, do you have any Cuban cigars? Or they'll walk into a shop, hey, you got Cuban. Because that's all they know. Yeah. But, you know, some of the greatest Cuban blenders, makers, uh, rollers left Cuba. And they established themselves in the places like the Dominican and, and, and Nicaragua and Honduras. And, and, and have created a culture that may have not happened if it wasn't for the Cuban Revolution. And if you're a cigar person, it's pretty incredible to be able to smoke an incredible Nicaraguan. And right now, Nicaragua is the king of the world when it comes to cigars. Yeah, uh, We see it overseas. More and more people are, are wanting our cigars overseas. Um, you just, you, 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 JSK is a great example. His cigars are doing great around the world. And um, it's one of those things where you can get great cigars outside of Cuba where maybe at one time that wasn't that wasn't the case 
And um, but Cuba deserves that that they have the history, they have the you know that kind of foundation. But I will tell you, when I was in Cuba, I never saw a young person smoking a cigar. If you didn't work at the factory, if you didn't work for Habanos directly, I saw young guys smoking cigars there. But out on the street, you didn't see it. Old yeah. men still had cigars in their mouth. Yeah, young people there. I'm telling you, Dunhill cigarettes were everywhere, and that I think they're kind of losing a bit of that where we have picked it up in the world, yeah, you know? But I think a lot of people are shocked to find out too. I think a lot of people go on vacation to Dominican or they'll take these trips to Nicaragua. I've met several people who go, man, I, I just figured I'd go to Nicaragua and I'd get off the plane and everyone would have a cigar in their mouth. But that's not the culture there, you know? Yeah. Unless you go to Esteli, where people are working in the industry, they don't really have a cigar culture amongst the people of Nicaragua, more so in the Dominican, yeah. uh, but more so in Cuba for many generations, but you don't really see that. I always, I always explain to people, it's like coffee. Some of the best coffee in the world comes from the Blue Mountains in Jamaica. But as a cons consumer of coffee, Jamaica consumes very little coffee. They don't have a coffee culture in Jamaica, although they produce some of the greatest beans in the world. And so that's how some of Latin America is, you know, Nicaragua. You're not necessarily, I mean, you can literally count on one hand how many real true cigar bars there are in the whole country of Nicaragua. Um, it's just not that, you know, didn't have that culture. But if you go to Esteli, it looks like everyone's smoking cigars. But out of Esteli, you don't see it as much, you know. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that's, a, that's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, everywhere you've been, um, you know, like cigar bar wise, like what what's it like? Uh, you know, going to a cigar bar in in Cuba in Nicaragua. Well, in Nicaragua, uh, I've been to two two cigar bars in Nicaragua, and the, besides the people working there, everyone that was in there were Americans or Europeans that were there on trips, business trips, or for the cigar industry. Um, Dominican Republic, same thing. Um, really? Well, no, well, I'll take that back. In the capital, Santo Domingo. I was at a cigar bar. Uh, he, this owner has several locations. He carries crown heads, and he carries a, I mean, literally, probably 20% of his store is Cuban. 80% is non-Cuban. Hmm. And so in the Dominican Republic, it was really cool because I saw a lot of businessmen in the Dominican Republic that were there who were Dominican were smoking cigars. But you don't see that as much as you would think you would. Yeah. Now, Cuba, all the cigar bars are pretty much La Casa de los Habanos. Uh, most of them have bars in them, you know, and literally your choice of drinks are very few. You know what I mean? It's mostly rum drinks. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting was most of the cigar bars I've been to, Nicaragua, uh, Honduras, or Dominican Republic, it was very much like a cigar shop here. You'd pick a cigar and you sit down and have a, and you'd have a smoke. Yeah. Cuba was different. I mean, you know, I think people are shocked when they go to Cuba. They think I'm going to go in uh, La Casa de Habana and I'm just going to buy 100 loose cigars. But when you go there, they may only have Partagas, that brand Partagas, Partagas, they may have 15 different Vitolas that they make for that brand. But in any given cigar bar, they may only have one box open. Everything else is sold by the box. Yeah. So if you wanted to smoke a particular size, more than likely you're not going to be able to get it. It's not like the, you know, not here. Um, so it's very different culture there. So when I went to Cuba and I wanted to smoke something that they didn't have a box open, you had to buy it by the box. Yeah. So it was a different world there. And in every La Casa del Habano, never saw a local Cuban smoking. Those cigars yeah. are just way too expensive for any Cuban to smoke. They do make 
cigars exclusively for the population. They're usually Cuban sandwiches, and they're using they're not even sold in La Casa Habana. They're usually sold in corner stores. Yeah. Literally pennies is, is what they run. It's kind of the cutaways, if you will, uh, the shavings of all the other tobacco uh, made for the locals. But have you, you go, had one? Yeah, I have. I How have. are they? Okay, I've, uh, look, I've only had one. Uh, it was I had two of the same. It was given to me by uh, uh, Island Jim. Uh, he had because uh, I, I never even stopped in and bought any when I was there. And uh, when he came back, he brought me a couple of local brands, and you know we were trying to uh, trying to them out and. Uh, they were not very good. Yeah, <laughs> they were. They were not very good. Yeah. But I'm sure there's a few that are. But the ones I smoked were not. In yeah. fact, when uh, Island Jim, who create, who has um, Leaf by Oscar, it's another great cigar, yeah. a great guy. And um, he, when he handed it to me, he said, "Look, this is a shitty cigar, man. <laughs> you know, but you got to try it out. This is what the locals, you know." But um, yeah. So and, and in Cuba, you know, look, man, it's it's the original, right? It's the original. It always have that romance to it, and. And I do hope that one day people, it's opened up for people because I think that if you sat down, look, it, it, when I sell someone a box of cigars, most of our boxes are 24 count. Yeah. Let's say you bought a box and you had one that was plugged. You will come to me at my next event and you will say to me, Gil, I bought that box. I had this. You may enjoy 23 of them. Yeah. But maybe you had one bad one. Yep. You're like, damn it. You know, I had this plugged cigar and da da da. Look, man, I've bought numerous boxes of Cuban cigars. I have a neighbor who loves Cuban cigars. It's his thing. Um, he'll get four or five out of every box. Yeah. twenty Usually 25-count boxes are most of them. Usually four or five that burn terribly, who are just inconsistently, they unravel or they're plugged beyond belief. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And, um, and to me, so when they do become legal and a guy's buying boxes, he says, I'm going to buy a box of Cubans, and he has that experience. Yep. I think he's going to learn very quickly that there is a romance behind Cuban cigars, but the quality and consistency does not live up yeah. to what that romance is anymore. Now, I hope one day that when things open up, that families that fled Cuba, you know, Padron, Fuente, any of these guys can go back, Nestor Placencia, any of these guys could go back, the Tarano family, who I have so much immense respect for, Jack Tarano, who's a great friend of mine. Um, who who is the face of Toronto Cigars now, who owns by General Cigar, and they're putting out some fantastic cigars um, that I hope one day they can go back yeah. and take what Cuban cigars used to be and, bring and it elevate it back. Back, back up. Because I'm telling you, you go to places like Germany, you go to places, there are countries around this world that are now hip to Nicaraguan cigars and Dominican cigars and Honduran cigars, and they're going better consistency, better flavors, better construction. And um, if Cuba, and when it will happen, when Cuba comes to this market, uh, uh, they are in for a rude awakening, I think. You, you think it's mostly quality control? A hundred percent. Well, part of it is um, uh, the leaf. A lot of the leaf that they're growing uh, does not meet the standards of what they used to consider standard. And then the consistency in the rolling is just terrible. Yeah. Terrible. I see, that's I, I had a box of... Uh, uh, Partagas, the Serie D number four, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I split it with a buddy of mine. It was a box of ten, you know, five a piece, and you know, I I smoked three of them. I had problems with all three of them. Yeah. Um, gave the other two away, um, and but then uh, a buddy, well, now now a buddy of mine, uh, he came down from Milwaukee's from StogieJournal.com, mm-hmm. and. 
you know, I, I was talking about that to him. Oh. And he happened to have one on him. He's like, well, here, try this one. See if this one's, you know, bef- before you write it off, try it. And I smoked it. That one smoked fucking perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. It was glorious. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, it's just like, man, I, I still can't put that much stock into yeah. something that's so inconsistent. That inconsistent. You know, that, that goes back to, you know, like I said earlier, you know, uh, you know, with the, with with everything I've had from Crown Heads, I've never had a problem. Yeah. I, it could happen. Yeah, but it, it's very few and far between, and that and that goes for, for all of the, I I don't want to say boutique, but yeah. you know boutique plus. When you're uh, when you're yeah when you're making cigars, uh, like a Crown Heads, like a Rocky Patel, like a Oliva, whoever it may be, General Cigar, Altadis Cigar, any of these yeah. guys. When we're making cigars, it's a business, but it's a passion. Um, I will tell you, guys like John Huber and Mike Condor that own Crown Heads, it is, they could be doing a whole lot of other things with their lives. Yeah. They are smart, intelligent, very wise businessmen, and they could definitely make money in a different business. But they have always had a passion for this business. I mean, between John and Mike, they've got 60-plus years of premium cigar experience between the two of them. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they, there's other ways you can go about it, right? The Cuban cigar, though, is very different because their Habanos SA is owned. Uh, it's a Cuban. It's a Cuban government-ran company with investments from um, the Spanish tobacco monopoly or whatever that is invested into it. Um, they're producing cigars not for the passion like it used to be. You know, when a guy like Benjamin Mendez, who's still alive today, when his father created Monte Cristo, again, it was that passion. It was the passion for yeah. the leaf. When the Taranos were there growing tobacco, it was a different world. Now it's a government-ran industry yeah. that is about making as much money as possible. And even if that means using tobacco that isn't ready, even if that means um, using rollers that are not up to par, putting out inferior product to them it's it's they're doing it because it supports their economy where everyone else is doing it outside of cuba because of it's a business and a passion yeah and when you have that the roller of today i don't want to i don't want to blanket blanket statement but in a way the roller in cuba today where it used to be a career where it used to be passion i make one of the uh, symbols of Cuba, yeah. a cigar. Now it's, I just need to make money, and I just need to survive. Yeah. It's not the same. And to, to anyone that doesn't know, like, rolling a cigar isn't just, uh, you know, throwing some shit together and rolling it up. Mm-hmm. If you ever watch somebody roll a cigar, like a, like, a, like a real cigar roller, mm-hmm. you watch them roll that cigar, it's... It's complicated. Yeah. It's, it might seem like it's not. There's a lot of places you can screw up. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yep. you know, you're, you're thinking about, you know, bunching that cigar correctly, rolling it correctly. Yep. Uh, not only does it have to look good, but it has, you know, I, I guess perform well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but I mean, you know, if you've got one side that's super dense and the other side that's loose, that, that cigar is going to burn like shit. So it's it's a lot more complicated than it seems. You, you know, know? I, I tell everyone, <clears throat> um, uh, I'll use an example, Bobby Flay. Yeah. Bobby Flay's a chef. Yeah. And Bobby Flay owns probably 10, 15 restaurants, 20 restaurants around the world now, right? Uh, Bobby Flay cannot be at every restaurant making every dish. Exactly. 
If Bobby Flay cooked for you and me right here, it would be outstanding. But he can't be everywhere. So he has to create something and rely on his cooks to um, recreate his vision. And that's what essentially is happening with, I'll use an example, Ernesto Perez Carrillo. He blends a cigar. He has a cigar made to his specifics. And then he has people that he entrusts in his factories that will carry out his vision. And in Cuba, you don't really get that anymore. And and when we talk about that, you're t- you know, whereas Bobby Flay is worried about having, you know, 20 to 40 master chefs or executive chefs or, you know, whatever the correct term is. Yep. Uh, when you're talking about cigar rollers, I mean, how many rollers are in a factory? You know, mm-hmm. you're you're talking, you know, hundreds. Pod, it you could know, be dep- dozens de- to a hundreds. Yeah, yeah. De- depending on the the company, it, yeah. you know, it it could be massive. Yeah. And you're relying on each one of these people to roll that perfect cigar every yep. time. Yep. You know, and when when you're in the hundreds, yeah. I mean that that gets pretty damn difficult. That's very difficult. Consistency is yeah very difficult. Yeah. Very deep. When I was in Cuba, um, because I was there with a friend of mine who worked for Habanos for many years, and now he's outside of Habanos, doesn't work for Habanos anymore. So we were down there, and I was able to speak to a lot of people that work for Habanos, take some back some factory tours, but on the VIP level, if you yeah. will. And, you know, I actually got to go and visit uh, a group of rollers that were in training and to see them training, rolling cigars and stuff. And, and uh, you know, there, there there's it's it's pretty pretty amazing you know yeah. what i mean when you see what they have to try to go through and i will tell you that it's so much harder to be a great roller in nicaragua and the dominican and honduras than it is in the in cuba now yeah. you know a kid can walk off the street and just want a job and they'll put him through the training process and and uh, in in our industry outside of cuba um i think we've got it down to a t I and mean, we've had our faults too i mean the boom lord there were terrible cigars. Not only there were terrible, the consistency on some of these cigars were atrocious. Yeah, um, there just were there were bad times, and I like I kind of talk about it like the American car industry at one time was terrible. Yeah, the cars were just being terribly produced, um, and we've gotten better, right? Some of the American cars are some of the best cars in the world now, and I think that is what's happened with the rest of Latin America where we have the best rollers bar none in Nicaragua, Honduras, and the Dominican. And now you have subpar in Cuba and, um, and it shows, Yeah, it shows, but you know, again, going back to the whole consistency thing, I mean, it's not easy, you know, it's, 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 um, it's not a chemical, right? You're not adding chemical A, chemical B to make yeah. chemical C. It's, it's, a, it's definitely a much more of a art and a craft than anything else. And, and cigars, uh, there's so many ways you can screw up, you know, from the tobacco to the fermentation. Uh, I love when people can go and take a trip and see it because I think guys tend to just see the final product. And then they think of a cigar roller is kind of the romantic part. Yeah. That literally is the end yeah. <laughs> of the process. Yeah. It started two, five years before with a seed in the ground. Yeah. It has to be picked and, and cure in a curing barn, taken down by hand. Taken back to the factory, sorted, put in pilons, fermented naturally, then taken down, sorted again, put in uh, put in burlap sacks and aged, brought down, rehydrated, 
then has to be. You know, there's so many steps, yeah. and people just tend to think about the last. When they talk about a cigar roller, you're literally talking like the last step before it gets yeah. boxed and shipped to us. It's the cashier it, at the it, grocery store. Absolutely, it's the cashier at the grocery. Yeah. You know, that's the person that you see. Yeah. But there's so much more to what the food that got there and how it all happens. There's so many more steps to that, and some people don't care. Um, but if you're into cigars, I think you're missing if you don't explore yeah. and that part of I, it. I, I want to take a trip so fucking bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, one one of these, and, you know, my wife doesn't smoke cigars. She doesn't smoke at all. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough that she she lets me enjoy this yeah. as much as I do. Um, and it's, I, I think, one, one of these years, uh, you know, taking a trip to nicaragua mm-hmm. dominican uh maybe cuba like yeah. i i i would absolutely fucking love love to experience you know just like that that romance yeah of cuba yep and you know i i know that in each of those countries i i'd like to think that there's something for both of us to do mm-hmm. you know yeah. but that you know so when well, uh, if you if you plan on taking a trip don't go to Nicaragua with the wife, right? Because um, <laughs> to get to the cigar-making area is up in Esteli on the Pan-American Highway. You fly into the capital of Managua. There is nothing for your wife to do in Esteli. Yeah. Now, they're two hours away. There is some beach towns, Granada, and some cool areas. It's a bit of a ways out, right? Yeah. I tell guys, like, at least in the Dominican, you're not that f- It's a smaller country. Yeah. You're not that far from a beach resort. <laughs> right, so the wife can enjoy the beach or resort, yeah, and you're not that far away from the cigar making yeah. world. And what's interesting thing is, is that um, Dominican Republic is all like Cuba in the sense that if you want to see cigar rolling in Santiago, Dominican Republic, it's the second largest city in the Dominican Republic outside of the capital of Santo Domingo. It's a big city. There's a lot to do in that city, and you're not that far away from a beach. I mean, you, you know, up a couple highways, you're, you're you can get to a beach pretty easily. In Cuba, the cigar factories are all, except for one, is pretty much in Havana. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot to do in Havana. And yeah. Cohimar and some other beaches are not that far away. Nicaragua and Honduras completely different. Yeah. And Honduras, the cigar capital is uh, Don Lee. In Nicaragua, it's Esteli. And they're both actually pretty darn close on the border. And uh, But there is nothing to do if you're yeah. not a cigar smoker. I mean, those cities. But I would tell you. And I had a great friend of mine who was Australian who's worked in the industry many years. He told me that if you want to see how cigars were really rolled in the heyday of Cuba, you got to go to Nicaragua. Yeah. You're not going to see it in the Dominican. You're not going to see it in Cuba. You're not going to see it in Honduras. These are his words, not mine. Yeah. That if you want to see how it was done, that's very much how Esteli is today. Yeah. And so, but I think Esteli is a great trip, man. Right now, it's a little crazy with what's yeah. going on there. Um, not very stable right now. Um, but uh, hopefully things will get better there and, and for the people. Um, but, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, in those countries, luckily, not that far from, yeah. you know, a resort or anything yeah. like that. Havana is interesting because, you know, this in the middle of a, a neighborhood, you could have a factory. It's really it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, got anything else? You know, I just, um, I'd love for people to, if you made it this far, in mm-hmm. the interview, uh, please check out Crown Heads. Check out our website, crownheads.com. We have a, a lot of information on there. We're always updating the website. There's some more updating that needs to be done, but you can find some great information on there. Um, you can follow John Huber. 
who is, uh, you know, the main guy behind the design and marketing of our cigars, co-owner of the brand. You can follow him. Uh, his official handle is The Crowned Heads, and that's on Instagram or Twitter. If you want to follow me, I, I post a lot of baseball cigar stuff. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under M-I-G-S-E-H-1980. So first three letters of my first name, first three letters of my last name in the 1980, the year of my birth. Um, you can find me on there as well. Feel free to follow. But um, if you're really into Crown Heads, I'd love for them to check out thecrownheads.com. Uh, John's always posting great pictures and a lot of great information. And, and um, in today's world with social media, 15 years ago, it was not that way. No. Um, you 15 years ago, if you wanted to meet John Huber, if you wanted to meet Pete Johnson, if you wanted to meet guys like a Skip Martin, you had to go to an event that they were attending. Nowadays, through Instagram and Twitter, um, you can be in contact with these guys every day, see yeah. the things they're working on, see the pictures of projects they're working on, new projects that are coming down the line. If you're a cigar geek, right now is a cool time because social media has made it, has broke down that wall and has yeah. really brought you. I mean, you can follow Ernesto Perez Carrillo on Instagram. Speaking of, uh, sorry to mm -hmm. stop you, no, but uh, right now the name slips me, but the cigar coming out in the fall. Mm. CHC Reserve? Yeah, the Reserve. CHC Reserve 18. Oh, that's going to be fucking wait for that. It's a beautiful I think it's our our best looking look, a part of a cigar is how it's packaged and how yeah. it looks. I think that's a big part of it, right? The the, the logo on that thing yeah. is just fucking gorgeous. Thank you, man. It's, Thank it's you. Like, it's like it's almost reminiscent of uh like a fire department fire. Yeah, yeah, it does. You it know, does. It's, yeah. it's it's absolutely fucking gorgeous. CHC is Crown Heads Court. And a lot of people that are hardcore Crown Head smokers, a lot of them refer to themselves as a court of Crown yeah. Heads, right? And uh, and so we named a cigar. Every cigar up to this point has never said Crown Heads on it. This is our first cigar with yeah. our actual yeah. company name on it, right? We've uh, John always says that Crown Heads is the band and each blend is an album. And so this, if you will, could be like you know, a self-titled album. I mean, this is something that we're very proud of. It's going to be a biannual release, so it'll come out in, in the fall of 18. Uh, it'll sell out sometime in the 19, uh, 2019, and then we'll do a new one in 2020. So this will be a biannual release. Where Las Calaveras is annually, yeah. this will be biannual. And uh, it's beautiful, rich. We did a traditional Robusto. We did a uh, 5x50 Robusto. We also did a Sublime, which is our Toro, uh, 6x54. And then we did our signature size, which is our Corona Gorda, 5.58x46. So it's kind of a connection to the first three sizes we ever released as a company. First cigar with our name on it. I think the packaging is probably the best-looking packaging we've ever done. The band, the box, it just looks beautiful. And... Um, I think it's it's got to be the cherry on top of our blends. I think it's one of the best things that uh, John has ever put together with yeah, Ernesto. I, so. I absolutely can't wait for it, man. Um, that's make, make sure uh, either eleven oh one or Karma gets them. Yeah, I believe they both um, have them on on order. Yeah. So we're excited to get that cigar out there. Uh, when when can we expect that? We're hoping the end of October. Yeah. End of October is what we're slating for it to launch, and so. Um, we're very excited about that cigar hitting the market. So you'll see it really hitting the end of October. By November, it'll be available in most premium U.S. tobacconists around the country. Uh, so you'll see that out there uh, at that time. And then uh, in uh, November, we're going to be releasing a Nether State exclusive. We already have the Tennessee Waltz. Oh, yeah? We have the Yellow Rose of Texas. That's all I can say, but we have a new state coming that we're really? going to release. And... Um, 
It'll be in the Midwest, and that's all I can say. No shit. Yep, but that'll that'll be uh, that'll be a new cigar that we're releasing as well. So keep your out ear out for that. Awesome. Yep. So, all right. So uh, back to the social media plugs. You went through uh, Instagram. Uh, is your your Instagram the same as the Twitter? Yeah, my Twitter and Instagram is the same yeah. thing. I never understood when people have two different ones. I, I think it comes down to availability, but I, yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's always easy because I just do B Stessel or, you know, with this, I do the Herfcast. Uh, yeah. Twi- Twitter, I had to do the underscore Herfcast, whereas okay. Instagram, I, um, you know, the Herfcast, which I don't know how the hell somebody already had the Herfcast. Right, but, right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're more active on Instagram and Twitter. You don't really see much. Of us too active on Facebook, uh, definitely more Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, dude, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming by. It's been it's been an honor to to have you hang out in the garage. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I always uh, I love talking cigars. I love talking baseball. I love talking rum. So we hit on all three yeah. topics tonight. Yeah. So thank you for having me. And uh, on behalf of John Huber and Mike Condor Crownheads, thank you for letting us talk, man. Oh, absolutely. So thanks a lot. Thank you. I've got Michael from Stogie Journal here with us. Uh, he's going to do a rundown of the Jericho Hill, correct? That's right, man. Thanks for having me back on the show. Absolutely. So, yeah, so since you had crowned heads on, I figured it would be fitting to do uh, a crowned head cigar. Uh, this is an exclusive for the Herfcast and for Brian, so you won't find this one on our website. Now, are you going to, uh, like at a later date, put it on Stogie Journal? No, no, man. I'm uh, this one's gonna be only here. I got some pictures that we can uh, throw up on your site or something. But now, nah, well, if we put this one on the site, I'll I'll smoke. I have to smoke another one and do it all over again. <laughs> oh, all right, man, that works. So I think we're gonna try to make this a, a regular a regular segment on the show. Um, that's as long as uh, as long as you're good with that, then uh, we'll see how this goes, and uh, we'll try to do it probably pretty much the same. Just uh, We'll get together via Hangouts or whatnot, and uh, you know, record the record the review. Yeah, sounds perfect, man. All right, sounds good. So, what do you got for us? All right, so we did the Jericho Hill Twelve Honest Men, which uh, it's a Lancero. Uh, it was like a special release. Um, we stored it at sixty-five percent for 12, 12 weeks. Cigar MSRP was nine ninety five, but I was looking on Holtz the other day. You can actually get these in a box of twelve for I think it's sixty bucks. Breaks down to like four dollars a stick, so really nice price on them. Um, smoke time was just a little over two hours, two hours and ten minutes. Uh, wrapper Mexican San Andreas. Binder was Nicaragua. Filler was Nicaragua. A um, little bit longer than your traditional Lancero, 7.5 um, with a ring gauge of 38. Man, so, so that's just the quick facts right there. So when, you, when, you're, when you're saying you, you went uh, two hours with that smoke, I must be a fast smoker because it's been a long time since I've had a cigar that's lasted me two hours. But... Oh, I'm notoriously slow, man. Uh, when okay, I'm sitting gotcha. around with a bunch of my buddies, they're on their second, and I might still be on my like the beginning of my uh final third or the end of my second third which is probably a good thing for a reviewer uh taking your time and making sure that you're getting all the flavors that you can exactly if you're burning it too quick you know you you burn those oils too hot you're going to miss out on a lot of the flavors that are in there so 
It's probably not a bad thing. So I'll get into it now. Um, so, you know, Stogie Journal style, we have our initial reactions and then we break it down by third. So initial reactions, uh, wrapper was really nice, really toothy. It, uh, it had a really strong earthy smell. It almost like, it almost like uh, put you on your ass when you were smelling it there. Like it was really in your face. Uh, construction wise, nothing uh, bad looking on the cigar. Little bit of a soft spot about an inch below the label towards the foot. Um, but other than that, yeah, beautiful looking cigar, nice smell. Um, so lit that sucker up on the first third, the initial puffs were super leathery and dry. And it was weird. It was a weird dryness. Like it wasn't dry in a bad way, a little hard to describe. Just, um, you know, sometimes you have a creamy and a sweet feel taste. There was none of that. This was, this was dry. Like, um, mm, no, I don't know how to describe it further than that, but it, when you smoke it, you'll see. Uh, so the initial retro was a very mild bit of spice on there. And like, it was a faint chocolate taste. You could almost have, you could almost compare it to like a dream of a chocolate taste. Like it was almost not even there. Um, going over to the draw, the draw was a little tight, but for a Lancero, you know, it's expected and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too bad. And it seemed like it was going to improve as it got down. So as I got down the first third, the chocolate taste starts to creep out more, but it's still really subtle. And the leather is also starting to build. Um, ash wise, ash fell off about an inch and a half, but it held well until there. I think I like uh, like twitched or something, and it caused it to fall off because yeah, it I, held on strong the rest of the way. I think an inch and a half for a cigar that size is still pretty. Oh yeah, pretty decent. Yeah, the construction on this thing was great. You know, a lot of Lanceros have a lot of issues, and this one, uh, besides that that little bit of tightness in the beginning, I, there's nothing else, and that soft spot, there was nothing else wrong with it. Right on. Um, second third, so the second third, this cigar did a big switch. Second third gets a lot more intense, so I wouldn't say the first third was like medium bodied. Second third moves towards the full side a little bit, and the chocolate and the leather did like a flip-flop. So you had the chocolate on the retro, and you had the um, the leather on the straight draw. Well, they like they like switched. So you had your leather on the retro, and the chocolate starts to be more in your face. And it uh, it's uh, that chocolate lingers after you exhale that puff. And the dryness completely left on this one, and you get a little bit of oaky on the second third, but it's subtle. A lot, a lot of those, the flavors on this cigar were subtle. Like they really took a while to build. Gotcha. So going into the final third on this stick, uh, we get flavors going even stronger. The beginning of the final third, I could feel the the nicotine start to hit me a little bit. Um, I I don't think I ate too much that day, so that might have been what did it. But I had to go grab a um, grab a another sparkling water on this one, and the <laughs> chocolate on this chocolate on this third comes back on the retro pretty strong, and so does the. Uh, the spice comes up a little bit. This one smooths out too as you get down on this, the final third and you get a little creaminess on the end. And um, yeah, you know, that's the uh, that's the review we got. We gave it a four out of five. 
Um, you know, across the board, we thought the construction was good. Uh, flavors were right. And, uh, you know, that that second third, it did such a flip flop. The um, the complexity was nice in there, too. That's good. So, yeah, I mean, four out of five is definitely a, a good score. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's one thing about, like, you know, looking at Internet reviews and whatnot. Uh, you know, it's either one star or five star, but you you, you get the you get the most truth out of the, uh, you know, twos, threes and fours. Um, you know, that's generally when you're going to get the best best review on a product online. But I mean, obviously, it's not, you know, a five out of five would be a perfect cigar. So, yeah, so we don't so we don't have a five out of five. Now, we got a lot of four point fives out of five on there. We break down. Uh, we do halves and whole numbers. So um, I forget, you know, the other thing I think that I think. Hold on. I'm going to Google my own site here. So uh, with that being said, uh, can you let everyone know, like, kind of how um, how your site is as well about, you know, how you have. Well, obviously, this won't be on uh, on Stogie Journal, but your normal reviews on Stogie Journal. You also have an option so that the 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 visitor can leave their own personal review on the same cigar correct yeah exactly so you know maybe you um you know we want people to be able to leave reviews because we don't want to just get my opinion on there you know my palate is going to be biased you know i'm i try so hard to not be biased but it's impossible so uh you know there's certain cigars that i'm going to tend to not like but you know if you see i give a cigar a two out of five everybody's going on there giving it a four out of five and saying, Hey, what the heck is this guy doing? He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, maybe I had bias on there or I got bad samples. Yeah. That's all we got for it. Jericho Hill, 12 honest men, Lancero. It was really good stick. And you know, another thing that you can't beat is if you can get these for, you know, I don't know how you get a better $4 stick. You know, I know the MSRP is nine ninety five, but I'm telling you, you can get them online for, for $4 a pop. So yeah, that's that's crazy, you know. But uh, to be able to smoke a stick like that for less than five dollars is, um, you know, there's far and few between like it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's I actually haven't had the Twelve Honest Men yet. I have had the uh, uh, the other Vitolas, uh, so I'm gonna have to check that out. And uh, you know, maybe when I do that, I could I could you know compare notes and whatnot. Um, Which ones did you smoke? Which Vitolas? Oh hell, I I don't know off the top of my head, man. Um, I know I, I I can't remember which one I smoked. It was the like uh, robusto size when I was on with McGill um, when we recorded. I started off with the Four Kicks Maduro, and then after that I had the oh, nice. uh, I had the Jericho Hill. Um, so I mean that that followed up nicely. And um, let's see, what was I? I was drinking. Uh, Let's see, I was drinking Basil Hayden's with the uh, Four Kicks Maduro, and then I went to uh, Abel's Brown Ale with the Jericho Hill, and uh, they, oh, yeah, they both they both seem to go pretty well, um, you know, both both pairings. So, yeah, the uh, the IPA with the Jericho Hill seems like the right move. You know, I haven't smoked a lot of the Jericho Hill. That was probably my third. 12 honest men that i smoked um but you know i we also reviewed the jericho hill shot it's like um 
it's almost like the size of the H Upman half Corona, but it's uh, a box press and it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Um, all right. So that is your Herfcast exclusive review of the Jericho Hill 12 Honest Men. Thank you to Michael from Stogie Journal for doing that for us. So there you have it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Uh, again, any questions, comments, uh, ideas, anything anything I could improve on, email me, brian at theherfcast.com. Check out the website, theherfcast.com, and you could join the CRA. You could buy some flatbed cigars. Uh, you could support my Patreon. Um, if you haven't done it yet, uh, check out Crowned Head Cigars. They are fantastic cigars. Like I've said many times, I've never had a bad experience with them. Uh, they, they really do put out an amazing product. Um, check out Miguel and the Crown Heads on all the social media stuff. And coming up here pretty soon, I'm still playing around with that Govi hygrometer thermometer. Uh, I'm going to have a contest for one of those pretty soon. Uh, it's a nice digital Bluetooth hygrometer thermometer. After I you know get done playing with that, I'm going to have a contest to give one of those away. And also coming up the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to have Billy and Don from Trivia Rogues. Uh, we actually just finished recording that episode. And don't forget to check out stogiejournal.com, S-T-O-G-Y-G-O-U-R-N-A-L.com. And I'm also going to have Keegan Damron coming, up, coming back. So stay tuned. I will keep everybody posted with all that. Thanks. <laughs>